The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content views and opinions expressed to those of the t- participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the TOSD Toddcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, found online at belmontmedia.org slash podcast and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the Toddcast at your convenience by downloading the free SoundCloud app available on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I'm Todd Bloniars from the award-winning Time Out for Sports Talk TV show available on BMC Channels 9 and 29 and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. Now, my regular uh, co-pilot, Howie McClellan, uh, unavailable tonight due to a prior work commitment, but uh, pleased to be joined by uh, regular TOST panelist and super sub Dave Fluitt. Dave, good to have you here in the studio tonight. Glad to be here, Todd. Uh, thanks for calling me up, and uh, um, hope to have fun today. Well, this uh, this particular Toddcast came together uh, kind of at the last minute, so I appreciate uh, you being available tonight and also sure. available and on the phone line with us right now is Christopher Price, who's been covering the Patriots for many years. Uh, his current stop is the Boston Sports Journal. You can find that online at bostonsportsjournal.com, and you can follow Chris on Twitter at CPriceNFL. Uh, first off, Chris, uh, after seeing all your links on uh, on the Boston Sports Journal site, I want to uh, give you a big thanks for making the TOST Toddcast one of the stops on your off-season radio and podcast tour. And uh, also, congratulations on correctly predicting a Patriots-Rams Super Bowl all the way back in September. Yeah, but I, I missed out on the, uh, the, the outcome. I, way back in September, I had the, the Rams beating the Patriots. So I, I, I was joking about my ability or my concern about being right versus my, you know, ability to, to say, you know, to really see over the course of the week that the, the Patriots were in, you know, had a distinct edge on the Rams in a number of areas. So it, I guess it worked out. It worked out nicely for all involved. Let's just put it that way. Well, uh, and Chris, you, you've been covering the Patriots, as we said, for uh, various uh, media outlets. And, of course, you've also written uh, several books uh, about the, uh, the team throughout this entire Brady-Belichick dynasty. And I have to ask you, uh, coming off this, uh, this sixth Super Bowl uh, championship, uh, where does uh, this one rank, I think, for you in, in terms of uh, comparing it to the others? Just uh, the overall performance, maybe the expectations of this 2018 team. How, how would you uh, rank it in terms of the, the last 18 years? Well, it's really interesting when you when you look at the you know where this team might rank compared to you know the other Super Bowl winners. I still say 2001 for me was far and away the most amazing, just because it came out of nowhere fundamentally. But you know you you look at the 2000. I think the 2003 and 2004 teams, those were the most established. Those were really you know in terms of top to bottom roster talent. Those were really some of the best that I've seen. And then you know you throw in the the, the comeback in 2016, and then. You know the great game in 2014, uh, the end of the 2014 season against the the Seahawks and the Patriots. I think that was a classic. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, this team is really, I think, the team is greater than the sum of the parts. I, I, I think that when you look at what the, they were able to do with this roster, I think he was able to squeeze everything he could. I, I've had a lot of people ask me 
you know, if, if this is Belichick's best coaching job ever, I don't think it's his best coaching job ever because, again, I still think 2001 was absolutely remarkable in what he did with that team. Um, but it's not too far removed. So I'll, I, I don't know if I would put it at the top, but let, let's just say in terms of the overall big picture, when you look at this team and what they were able to accomplish, I'd still put them in, you know, maybe the top three or four at the very least. But I, I think that Super Bowl was completely unique, though, because, you know, it, it was so defensive-minded, and I think that's really what's, what set that apart from the other from the other five. Well, it's interesting you brought up 2001, Chris, because the similarities, obviously, between Super Bowl 36 and, and this one are uncanny, both taking place on February 3rd, 17 years apart. Both Patriots teams, the 01 and the 18 teams, went 11-5, made improbable runs to the Super Bowl. Both had to win the AFC Championship game on the road as underdogs. Both teams, of course, uh, beat the Rams in a domed uh, stadium in the uh, Super Bowl, and the defense really stood out in both games, shutting down the offensive-minded head coaches of uh, Mike Martz in 01 and, of course, Sean McVay this year. And uh, number 24 came up with a big interception in both the games. Uh, <laughs> Ty Law then, uh, now, of course, a future Hall of Famer, and, uh, uh, of course, uh, Stefan Gilmore now. Yeah, it really was. It, it, it's interesting when... You know, you, you do think about the comparisons and you think about the Rams and, you know, they were such an offensive-minded team and the Patriots were able to kind of shut them down. And, you know, Stephon Gilmore really did. I, I wrote about this. He, he did the number 24 proud because, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a long tradition here in New England of, of good cornerbacks who wear number 24. I throw Revis into that as well, even though he's only there for a year. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that when you look at the performance of the team, and you look at you know the way things you know unfolded, especially against an offensive-minded team like the Rams on both occasions. The, the similarities really are striking. The only difference that I would say is you know the, the Rams were heavy favorites going into that first one, and you know the Patriots were still favored in this one. But yeah, I, I think that there there are definitely some similarities there to chew on. Things kind of came full circle for both teams on Sunday night. Uh, yeah, Chris, um, leading up to the Super Bowl, you know, just from what I saw on TV and kind of listening to radio and TV and whatnot, it seemed like the team had like a relaxed vibe, like it was just really relaxed heading into it. And was that the case or was it just me kind of seeing something that wasn't there? I think there were some nerves, but I think that when you consider what they were doing, at that stage, I don't want to say there was a feeling that they were kind of playing with house money, yeah. but they were they were definitely more relaxed. They, they, they were. The, the one thing in that vein that really stood out for me was after the AFC Championship game in Kansas City, the vibe was a little bit more reserved than I think I've seen in years past in, okay. in the wake of a win in the AFC Championship game. There, there was some celebration, sure, but there was also a feeling of unfinished business, and I think that really permeated through the team over the course of the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. So, so yeah, I, I do think there was a, a bit of an understated feeling around the team, kind of to, to speak to your point. There, 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 there was not, uh, you know, a, an excessive amount of anxiety. There, there, there was some general nerves, and it was interesting. Bill talked about that at some point because he said, you know, hey, it's the Super Bowl. Everyone's going to be nervous. Um, but at the same time, I think that they were relaxed. And, and I think a lot of that had to do, again, to your, to your excellent point, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they, you know, so many of those guys had been there before, quite frankly. And, you know, you juxtapose that with what we saw from the Rams, uh, where a lot of guys were making their first Super Bowl appearance. I think, you know, I, I think it was very, the, the contrast was very sharp between two teams. And I think you really hit it on the head there. 
Well, yeah, I got to ask you this too, Chris. Do you think uh, another factor at play here was the Rams being somewhat predictable because, uh, you know, they'd run 95% of their offensive plays out of the same uh, set, uh, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, uh, that set, and they really kind of stuck to that same game plan. Sean McVay really didn't make a whole lot of, uh, you know, adjustments at all. And and so the Patriots, you know, defensively, uh, these two weeks, just basically they were looking at all the game film and they broke it down and they said, well, if the Rams don't do anything different, we feel confident we came up with a defensive game plan that's going to shut them down, which they did. Uh, albeit, again, I not that I was expecting them to, to limit the uh, second-best offense in the NFL this year to three points. Yeah, I, I think that there is something to that. And I'm also fascinated now going forward as to what the Rams are going to do because – they are a, a very flashy offensive team when they get rolling, and I think they won a lot of games on rep this year. We you know, this, you know, in the fact, you know, before they even kind of stepped on the field, a lot of teams were anticipating this big offensive explosion and kind of took them took themselves out of the game. When they faced really good defenses, they struggled. You know, we we saw that in the Bears game in in December. We saw that in, you know, in the Super Bowl. The, the, we saw that in the, you know the, the Philly game. Um, they, they are going to have to, you know, make a lot of decisions about that team going forward. And, you know, primarily is Jared Goff your guy? Um, are they going to be willing to kind of take the lumps and grow with him? Or are they going to, you know, go out and look for someone else? I, I also think the other thing, too, is as much credit as we gave McVay, and I was just, you know, I was right there with everyone, the Willie or Woney decision with Todd Gurley, I think, really hurt them. I, I think that Todd Gurley's, you know, for for as much as they do passing wise, I think Todd Gurley is their best offensive player, and for them to only use him on a limited basis, you know, with a, with the, with the uh, explanation that oh well, you know, we wanted to give C.J. Anderson some reps and we wanted to kind of split the load and kind of show him two different looks at running back. And no, no, it's sometimes football isn't that complicated. You know, Todd Gurley's your best player if he's healthy. Play him, get him in the game every single play, and. You know, regardless of the scheme, regardless of the setup. So I, I do think there is something to what you said. And I think, you know, at the same time, the Rams need to kind of branch out and diversify a little bit when it comes to their offensive attack. Yeah, do you think it was apparent that uh, a girlie was hiding some kind of an injury that they uh, the Rams basically just lied on their injury report and uh, didn't list anything for him? Uh, he just didn't look the same the last several weeks. No, he didn't look the same. And you look at his production after the Dallas game, I think something happened in that Dallas game where he got, you know, dinged up a little bit and they decided to make the change. Look, I, I either think, and, you know, following up on my theme before, you know, football is not all that complicated. I think that, you know, they're either lying about Gurley's health situation or someone's not, I won't go as far as say lying. Someone's not telling you the truth about the whole truth about Gurley's health situation or Sean McVay just outthought himself and thought that, you know, we're going to try and throw a curveball at the Patriots by using some C.J. Anderson instead of Todd Gurley and, you know, came back to bite him. Uh, yeah, Chris, in a league where, like, everybody sees tape on everybody and, and there's a lot of duplication and replication, why hasn't anybody replicated what the Pats do or at least some of what they do? Well, I think you're, you're talking about primarily defensively. Um, well, even like offensively, well, it, it seems like they adjust to to whatever situation's going on, I guess, yeah, and yeah. they do it both yeah, ways. I, I think you need to have very specific guys to do, well, defensively, let me start out defensively. Okay. Defensively, you need to have very specific guys who can fill very specific roles, and you have to have guys who don't freak out when they're asked to do something different one week after another. You know, they, they have to be malleable. They have to be flexible and adaptable and, you know, with an understanding that some games they're going to play, 
80% of the snaps and some games only play five snaps. You know, I mean, we saw that the difference in the AFC championship game where J.C. Jackson played almost every snap against the Super Bowl where he hardly played any snaps. You know, you need guys like that who aren't going to take that personally. Um, on offense, honestly, a lot of it is the quarterback. And even though the quarterback didn't yeah. play well, I'm just kind of talking big picture here, the quarterback can cover up a lot of deficiencies. And I, I think that, you know, and I'm not taking anything away, you need, you know, you need that franchise quarterback. You also need – and this is just something that, you know, we've talked about before, I know, you need a great offensive line. And, you know, a great offensive line can make an average quarterback good and a good quarterback great. And we saw Tom Brady, who had a good performance, not a great performance, but a good performance in the Super Bowl, protected by an offensive line that kind of was able to lift them to another level. So um, I think ultimately to answer your question, really for me, it comes down to adaptability and it comes down to versatility and it comes down to getting players who – are okay with, you know, being versatile and maybe doing things different and maybe doing things outside the box. And that's just, that's really a a, a tough thing to find these days. Well, I'm glad you brought up the offensive line too, Chris, because uh, certainly the what they did over the last three games, uh, allowing only one sack uh, to Brady, uh, you know, Trent Brown, Joe Tooney, who, by the way, uh, made uh, a Super Bowl in NFL history by becoming the very first player uh, in his first three seasons in the league to make three Super Bowl starts in his first three seasons. Again, uh, yeah, Joe Tooney, only, man, only I, player know, in NFL history to do that. Yeah, but, Joe Tooney is my guy. Joe Tooney, straight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be completely honest with you, man. Joe Tooney is my guy. Joe Tooney has played every single snap of every single game the last 26 games, including last postseason as well. Anyone who could do that at the guard position and not be ground down into dust over the course of, you know, over the course of the year, has my ultimate respect. And that, and you saw that in the in the Super Bowl. The way he and Andrews handled Aaron Donald, look, it wasn't perfect. There were times where Donald got the best of him, but that offensive line did enough to be able to keep Brady, you know, keep Brady upright. And you know, he only he was only sacked once in the postseason. The other thing, too, as great as the offensive line is, a lot of that's on Brady, his ability to get the ball out fast. That's something that I know we've discussed before as well. Where sure. you know, Joey, Bo- or yeah, Joey Bosa and the. Um, Divisional playoff game. There's that great piece of tape from NFL film Bosa joking with Brady about, oh, you know, why do you get here so fast? Well, if you don't get here so fast, you know, won't throw the ball so fast. So, uh, you know, Brady's release time figures into it as well. And I think he was burned a couple times in the Super Bowl where he ended up holding up the ball a little bit too long. Um, but ultimately, it, it wasn't that big a deal. But yeah, the offensive line was tremendous this year. And I think if you're a Patriots fan, you should be very encouraged by the news that, you know, our, my colleague Greg Bedard had that Dante Skarnicki's coming back for 2019. Well, we're glad to hear that, too. And, uh, uh, you know, I just want to give the rest of the offensive line some love, though. Uh, uh, David Andrew, Shaq Mason, Marcus Cannon, and of course, uh, the efforts of uh, Rob, Rob Gronkowski, uh, D- Dwayne Allen, and uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, James Devlin, too, uh, in uh, helping out the run game. And, and of course, the, you mentioned the pass protection. Uh, neither Aaron Donald nor Indomitian Sue were able to sack Brady. So, I mean, you know, they, for the most part, they did kind of contain those guys, uh, at least as far as uh, not being able to bring Brady down. And uh, just, uh, yeah, like you said, it, it's this was really kind of a throwback game when you think about it. It was, uh, you know, dominated at the line of scrimmage. Uh, 
it was the lowest scoring Super Bowl in history, which, of course, obviously none of us expected uh, in a season where uh, the 54-51 uh, Monday night game in November was uh, was being uh, kind of trumpeted as the, the new NFL. And then also thinking about this is, you know, I'm kind of thinking back through the game in my head. There were no replay challenges. There were no pass interference penalties. I mean, that's unheard of in, in the NFL in 2018. It really is. It was an extraordinary game. If if you're a football nerd, if you're you know when I say that with nothing but love, you know it's it's it was one of those games. It was not an overall great product. You can make an argument that it, it wasn't you know uh, you know maybe the best thing for the NFL to have on its big stage. But at the same time, it it wasn't a game for the casual fan. I'll say that you know it, and at the same time, it did feature a lot of tough physical what I call kind of you know big boy football. It, it, I, I still believe, and I had this discussion with someone after the game, it wasn't the most physical Super Bowl that the Patriots were involved in. I still believe that was Super Bowl 38 against Carolina, where you just had two teams just swinging on each other throughout the second half. And granted, they scored a lot of points, but that was real, that was the most physical Super Bowl I've ever seen. But this one was not too far removed from that one. Well, and like you said, uh, you know, there really was the only offensive standout in this game to, to speak of uh, was uh, the MVP, Julian Edelman. Uh, t- uh, 10 catches for 141 yards now with 115 uh, career postseason receptions. That's uh, second only to Jerry Rice, who has 151. And he's also second on the all-time postseason uh, yardage uh, list to 1,412. Uh, he's not He's not going to catch Jerry Rice, who's about 800 yards ahead of him. But, uh, and, you know, but Edelman's performance, and not to mention Edelman is also in the record books uh, for uh, most postseason punt returns and yardage ahead of uh, everybody in, in the history of the NFL. NFL. So uh, just talk about Edelman's performance. And uh, I guess uh, it's not that surprising for those of us who've been watching him low these many years. But, uh, you know, everyone talks about Tom Brady being picked 199. But uh, a lot of people forget Julian Edelman was picked even lower in the seventh round back in 2009. And uh, the numbers uh, he's been putting up in the postseason are just uh, crazy. They really are, they, and, and they're a tribute to him and his ability to work and his ability to kind of overcome that draft status. Because when he showed up in 2009, no one really thought much of you know much of him at all, quite frankly. But he was you know he was able to not only survive but ultimately to thrive. I, I always go back to what was it? I think it was 2013, or 2012 or 2013 when he was a free agent the first time. And he went out on the market, and he got a visit from the Giants, and that was pretty much it. And so it's, you know, to to see his career arc and and to see where he is now, it's it's really fascinating. And again, it's a tribute to him and the hard work that he's been able to put in over his career. It's you know to be able to to, to reach this point where he's a Super Bowl MVP. It's really impressive. It, it really is. And and you know for him to be able to build himself into Tom Brady's favorite target. And, and it's not only durability, but it, you know, it also shows a you know a reliability, a, a nice chemistry with the quarterback. It's it's very very impressive. And you know, when the whole story of the Patriots dynasty is written, he he's going to have a, a a sizable chapter. Well, I'll have to confess here, right? My first. Uh... The first time I ever saw Julian Edelman, I was down at 2009 training camp, and I see this guy uh, fielding punts, and I'm going, who's the guy wearing Bledsoe's jersey fielding <laughs> punts back there? I, mean, I, don't, I had no idea who he was. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, right, I mean, uh, you know, for all the appreciation I think uh, most of us uh, real Patriots fans have for Drew Bledsoe, I mean, the, the real number 11 at this point uh, 
you know, it's got to be uh, uh, J.E., <laughs> Mr. Edelman. And the amazing thing is, really, you, it's funny you bring up the 2009 training camp. I still remember people booing it when he was when he was fielding punts out of the, you know, fielding punts in training camp and dropping them, and people were booing it. You sure it wasn't? They weren't booing him because he was wearing number 11. Maybe they were just wondering why they they give Bledsoe's jersey out to anybody. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I feel this. It's funny. I, I feel like that when it comes to number 14. I have a soft spot for Steve Grogan. I'm not sure why. You know, and I know the the franchise has the, you know, they, they don't give out, you know, some jerseys and some numbers and all that. But I don't know why Steve Grogan's number 14. Nothing against Zoltan Mesko. I love Zoltan Mesko. <laughs> uh, I, I can't believe that, you know, they, they allow someone else to wear number 14. No, I, I have to agree with you uh, there, too. Uh, I, I guess uh, my, my question here now, i got to ask Chris, uh, you know, it, we're, obviously Edelman's legacy seems to, well, let me just, while we're on the subject of Edelman, uh, do, do you think, I mean, the debates come up uh, whether or not he's uh, a, a legitimate uh, Hall of Famer for Canton. There's no question he's going to be wearing a red blazer and, in, and get inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame. Uh, but uh, what about uh, his uh, chances for getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Not right now. And I don't, I don't think he, uh, that's a legitimate conversation to have right now. I, I, I think that maybe in, you know, four or five years, if he ends up in the neighborhood of seven hundred something catches, I, I think that you know we can have that discussion because this is a guy, and you brought up his postseason numbers before. He's been, he's been a huge part of what this team has done in the postseason. And then the other thing too. You have to figure a special teams ability into the into the equation. So, I don't think he's there right now. Uh, but at the same time, if he continues to put up, you know, 60, 70, 80 catch years for the next three or four years, I think you know the discussion becomes a, a, a relevant one. But I, I, I think, let's just say, if he stopped playing right now, he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can last another three or four years too. Uh, his durability. Uh, you know, is, is uh, you know, I mean, the guy takes a lot of hits, and he's 32 now, and uh, I just, you know, I'll be, you know, to, to be able to even kind of uh, fall into your criteria, I'll be very uh, interested to see if uh, if that happens. Oh, looking at the legacies of Brady and uh, Belichick here uh, after this uh, sixth Super Bowl win for them both, uh, where, you know, di- did the results of this game really have an outcome on their legacies? And whose legacy do you think got, uh, who might have been benefited more from uh, the way the game played out? Uh, just uh, your, your thoughts on, on both these guys. I think the specific game benefited Belichick's legacy a little bit more than Brady's. But at the same time, I don't think it necessarily changed any sort of public opinion on people. People who are bound to determine to find flaws with the Patriots for whatever reason are still going to find flaws with the Patriots. You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, they've lost three Super Bowls too. Joe Montana never lost three Super Bowls. I just got to roll my ass, whatever, you know. Um, but I think the, the game itself helped cement Belichick's legacy even further because, you know, he found a way to kind of flip the script on the game plan as we talked before and, you know, surprise the Rams and hold them to three points. But at the same time, when you look at the first two games of the postseason, um, you know, when you look at what Brady was able to do and you look at the numbers he was able to put up, I, I think that also, you know, speaks to his legacy. So they're, you know, at this point, they're the greatest coach and the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. I, I don't think, you know, anything changed dramatically. I just think they gained a little bit more separation from the rest of the crowd with that one. And, of course, uh, you know, as, as great as the Super Bowl win was, uh, well, actually, you know, I, I'm going to mention, uh, you. I was reading your, your work in uh, the Boston Sports Journal today, and you had a nice story, uh, and this kind of ties into one of the off-season questions, of course, 
uh, maybe one of the biggest ones, and that would be number 87, Rob Gronkowski, who had a, uh, certainly had a good game, had the, the huge catch. Uh, you know, the one that uh, got them down to in, inside the five-yard line and set up the, the Sony Michelle touchdown, the only touchdown of the game. And by the way, also the only play run in either te- for either team in the red zone the entire game. I can't believe That's that. That is one red zone play the entire game. Uh, but uh, so, you know, with regards to Gronkowski, obviously it's been a, over a year now that we keep hearing the retirement rumors, and, and he's obviously going to take a couple weeks now to, to, to think about this. But, Chris, what's your gut feeling? on Rob Gronkowski's uh, future, uh, you know, because it feels like a lot of things he's said and done and the way he's acted through this season uh, leads me to believe that uh, we might have seen his swan song. And if that's the case, at least uh, he went out on top and, uh, you know, that last great catch to, to set up the uh, the big touchdown. Yeah, I, I I think he's coming back for at least one more year. I, I do. I, I, I remain fascinated by the relationship between Gronkowski and Brady because Gronkowski tied himself to the quarterback in a fashion that no other uh, pass catcher has ever done this past offseason. They were talking about trading him to Detroit. He said, no, if you're going to trade me to Detroit, I'm going to retire. I I only want to play with Tom Brady. He's the only quarterback I want to play for. And I think, you know, if I'm Brady, I say, look, pal, let's do this one more time. Let's you know, let's let's run this back, you know, for the 2019 season. This is the last year of contract. You know, I'll, I'll maybe you know rework my deal to get you a little bit more if you know if that if, if you know if that's enough of an incentive. The other thing too, and I wrote this last night, is Belichick had Mark Bavaro when Mark Bavaro was 29, and Mark Bavaro was breaking down by that point. He was with the Browns, and they came to an accord on Bavaro's practice time. You know, Bavaro didn't really have to practice if he didn't want to, and. Later on, Bavaro told me that he said, you know, it extended his career by a couple of years. And so I wonder if Belichick might fall back on that idea once again, where, you know, you have a game-changing tight end who is having some physical problems, and you say, well, you know, let's just, you know, let's have you not practice. Now, granted, things are different with the practice schedules, you know, from 1992 as opposed to 2019, but, you know, the idea is still there that, you know, there, there are ways to keep him fresh. Because as I've said for a long, long time, when it comes to Rob Gronkowski, not all snaps are created equal. You want to have him healthy for the postseason. They were able to do that this year, and he was a very big part of what they were able to do. So it's going to be interesting going forward, but ultimately, to answer your question, I think he ends up sticking around for at least one more year. Well, interesting uh, that you say that. And, of course, that that was the story that you referenced was the one I was also uh, referencing, too. Great get to uh, reach out to Mark Bavaro. And uh, actually reminding me as well, I had totally forgotten that he was uh, he played in Cleveland uh, under Belichick under very similar circumstances to what Gronk is facing now. So it really is a great analogy, and uh, perhaps it's something that, uh, you know, uh, Brady, Gronk, and uh, Belichick collectively will uh, will all uh, consider uh, next year if Gronk decides to uh, to come back for one more year. Yeah, if they can make it work, you know, if they can find a way to keep everybody happy. One of the things that Bavaro noted was that it was, you know, it, one of the reasons that it worked was because he had the support of his teammates and the support of his, you know, the, the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, the currency that Gronkowski has built up on the roster well, with the coaches, with the players, with Brady, you'd think that that would be enough to 
allow a plan like this to sail through. The other thing, too, and again, I want to reiterate that, look, the practice schedule now is way different than it was before. There's not a lot of hitting that goes on in practice, but Mm -hmm. there are other ways to kind of keep him as fresh as possible with an eye toward having him play the most important time of year. I know Bill has said on a number of occasions that, you know, football players play, that's what they do, but, you know, you can't argue the fact that a healthy Gronkowski, you know, really kind of elevates you when it comes, especially when it comes to the postseason. Well, I hope you're you're right on, on that call that Gronk is going to come back for one more year. But speaking of uh, other retirements, uh, you know, over the last week we heard uh, some rumors from uh, the Devin McCourty camp that uh, he was thinking of uh, hanging it up uh, after uh, nine seasons. And, of course, he got to fulfill really the last wish, I suppose, he had on his football bucket list, and that is to, to play with his twin brother. In fact, the McCourty twins, uh, Devin and Jason, the first twins to ever uh, appear uh, in a Super Bowl together on the same team. Uh, so Devin has got three rings and one with his twin brother. I don't know what's uh, what. What is your thought here? Do you think uh, that he's going to consider? And I guess both are Devin and Jason both going to consider hanging it up. Yeah, it was interesting in the locker room after the game. Robert Kraft approached them and said, "You guys aren't allowed to retire." And there was kind of this <laughs> laughter that when your boss kind of makes a joke, <laughs> you know, it, and you go ha 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 ha, and you kind of and everyone was kind of awkward. It was uncomfortable for a second, but I, I you know. Put it this way, I, a month ago I would have thought you were crazy, the idea of Devin McCourty retiring. Now you go, oh, you know, I can kind of see that. You know, he can go into TV, he's got his money, he's got his health, he won three rings, one with his brother. It would make an awful lot of sense, especially if the Patriots ask him to take a pay cut, if he said, you know what, that's it, I'm moving on, I'm not playing anymore. That's certainly one to keep an eye on, but one of the things it does underscore for me moving forward is that safety becomes a real position of need. Or at the very least, because you're going to need to um, get younger at that spot. Uh, you know, Chung, Harmon, McCourty, um, you know, that group has gotten a, a little bit long in the tooth. So we, we shall see how it's all going to kind of play out this offseason. And, of course, among others, some some of the other questions you posed uh, in uh, Boston Sports Journal uh, today, uh, you, you talked about uh, – uh, who's going to replace uh, Brian Flores, who's now the uh, head coach of the Dolphins. And, uh, boy, talk about going out with a bang himself. Uh, great job uh, through this uh, stretch uh, calling the defensive plays. You you had mentioned uh, Brendan Daly, the uh, defensive line coach, but uh, reports late this afternoon uh, seem to be uh, looking at uh, Greg Schiano as the likely uh, defensive coordinator uh, for next year. Uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And, you know, the Patriots obviously promote from within, and they love to promote from within. But, you know, this is a situation where they appear to be going outside the, you know, the, their comfort zone a little bit, um, finding a guy who does have connections with Belichick, but, you know, he hasn't been around, he doesn't know. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of the way it all shakes out. Like you said, I was kind of pushing for Brenda Daly. I think that would have made the most sense. Um, but Shiano's a really interesting candidate. He's got a really interesting background. and. So we shall see how it all kind of how it's all going to kind of come together. Yeah, and certainly uh, there's a friendship there. I do you think that maybe uh, Belichick's like throwing Shiano a bone because he maybe can't get an NFL job right now? Well, I think Bill has done that, you know, for guys in the past where he's kind of done, you know, done a favor for a friend. I, but you know, in those instances in the past, it it hasn't been for a defensive coordinator job. It's been for kind of a lower level thing. I remember Dom Capers in 2008 was the secondary coach. You know, as he was kind of you know, I don't want to say he was rehabilitating his career, but he made a brief stop over in New England on the way to another gig. So maybe that's it. So it is. It's. I, I'm not 100% sure how it's all going to kind of 
work out right now, but Shiano, like I said, is, is a really intriguing piece of the puzzle. Um, I, I wonder if it's going to impact, you know, the McCordys and their decision because, you know, they played, you know, they played for him at Rutgers, Deron Harmon, you know, it, it, that Piscataway to Foxborough pipeline was, was humming when he was the head yeah. coach in Rutgers. Yeah. So uh, there is a good working knowledge there. I'll say that. And, you know, that's, that's a good first step. That's certainly a step in the right direction. Yeah, and plus he was at uh, Ohio State this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he must know a good knowledge of the you know, of the of the the college game, which should certainly help out when it comes to uh, you know, the draft process, the pre draft process anyway. Yeah. Um do you think Belichick well, question. How has Belichick's kids progressed as coaches? It seems like they're oh, doing kid, how has kids progressed? Yes. I think they've done okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that the the um, the safety position is the area that I think if you're looking at a position that might be able to run on automatic pilot, I think that you know that's one of those positions because they have so many trusted veterans back there. I, I think it's a little bit different. You know, McCordy is almost like a coach in the field, quite frankly. And, yeah. You know, Chung and Harmon and you know, have been there for so long, and they're you know they're a lot of interchangeable in some ways so i think they've done okay i mean both on and off the record guys say that you know he's a you know, he's a good coach yeah. he's a good coach he's helped him he's he's helped him develop his players so i think that's you know it's certainly a step in the right direction i'd put it this way i don't think he's hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. yeah all right well as we bring this uh, interview to a close with you chris uh and again thank you for for spending time with us uh i wanted to uh, kind of circle back around to what we started uh, the conversation with uh, talking about uh, number 24 and uh, the patriots secondary and uh, you're uh, you know you're just as qualified as anybody as a kind of a patriots historian all the years you've you've been covering the team uh your thoughts on a tie law finally getting uh, elected into the pro football hall of fame and uh also maybe if you wanted to mention uh, your thoughts i know c Moore was nominated. He was a finalist, but uh, Richard Seymour uh, did not get elected. So maybe thoughts on both of their uh, careers. I think Ty deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. Ty, Ty Law is a, a transformative cornerback. I have I never saw Mike Haynes play, and I wrote this, but you know, for an extended period of time, I've covered the team since 2001, and he's been the best cornerback I've seen this season. And so you know, you look at his career numbers, multiple All Pros multiple Super Bowl rings. I don't count Pro Bowls, honestly, because everyone makes the Pro Bowl if they wanted to. Um, you know, I always say Brandon Merriweather has as many Pro Bowls as Rodney Harrison, so that's pretty much on that argument. But you, you look at the body of work, and you look at the interceptions, and you look at his ability to make big plays in important moments, and he deserves a spot there. He certainly deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. Richard Seymour, I think history is going to be kind to Richard Seymour. I think Richard Seymour has a chance to be one of those senior committee guys um, but he does have the fact that he is a defensive lineman who did not pile up big sacks. That's not you know his fault um, because he moved around a little bit. I, I still believe that you know Belichick could have put him at defensive end for his entire career and he could have come away with 80 plus sacks and he would have been a Hall of Fame slam dunk. You know the only defensive linemen who don't compile sacks. You know basically you have to you have to get sacks if you're a defensive lineman who wants to go in the Hall of Fame. You know the only interior guys who go in you know with sacks are Warren Sapp. Um, and so, you know, Seymour has a shot. He does, but I think, you know, his, his time is going to, his time is going to come. 
Um, but it's not this time around. I think. But I, like I said, I think you know you really take a good hard look at his his resume. I think he's a guy who deserves to at least be a strong part of the conversation. Well, Chris, I've been defending Richard Seymour's career for years, and I will give you one piece of evidence uh, in an argument that Richard Seymour may be responsible as much as anyone, and maybe more than anyone, for beginning the Patriots dynasty. I will bring you back to the snowball game against Oakland, and the Raiders had a third and one. Uh, Zach Crockett, the fullback, took the ball, and Seymour stuffed him, and if it wasn't for that stop, the Raiders would have run out the clock. There would have been no tuck rule implementation. There would not have been a game-tying field goal through the blizzard by Adam Vinatieri. None of those heroics would have taken place if it wasn't for Richard Seymour's stop of Zach Crockett on third down. So there you go. How's that? I'm right there with you. <laughs> there with you. I'm, he was he was great with us in the media, and he became you know he became a guy who you could rely on. You know, he was he was very, very important. He was really one of the more, and I've said this as much, you know, he's one of the more underrated aspects of that first Patriots dynasty. Yeah, certainly a, a lot of uh, a lot of guys unheralded, but it's great to see Ty Law kind of representing that the first uh, the first part of, of Brady's uh, the Brady Belichick dynasty uh, from those three Super Bowls. Uh, it is great to see someone from that group uh, uh, getting uh, getting some national attention that they so richly deserve. Uh, Chris, again, thank you so much for for spending time with us here. I'll let you get uh, get back to your your chicken soup and whatever else uh, is helping you uh, uh, help uh, your, in your recovery. Uh, but uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again down the road soon and certainly uh, reading all your work uh, in the Boston Sports Journal. Sounds good, guys. My pleasure. Take care, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, all right. Chris. Thanks again, Chris. Again, that was Chris Price of the Boston Sports Journal, and you can uh, find him on Twitter. His handle is at CPriceNFL, and, of course, uh, you read his work on bostonsportsjournal.com. Uh, well, there you go. What are your uh, – uh, we still got a little bit of time here. Is uh, well, we have plenty of time because yeah. with a, with a podcast, there is no time limit, so well, we can uh, continue uh, the discussion here. Uh, well, first Dave, of all, following what? up on uh, Richard Seymour okay. for that draft. Yeah, uh, if we remember, yeah, there the Patriots' offense was abysmal that year, and uh, they had like the sixth or seventh pick or something mm-hmm. like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was sixth overall. And it's right. like okay, so. I know that uh, I want this guy, David Terrell, the, the receiver mm-hmm. on Michigan. I'm you like, and Ron Borges, I yeah. believe, of the Boston Globe oh, at the time. I mean, I was full throat. I'm like, they got to win. Like, he's the guy. I'm telling all my buddies. He, they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, this guy's good. Like, David Terrell, David Terrell. And they pick Richard Seymour. And I had no idea who that was. Oh, admittedly, I didn't know who and he was. And I was like, when I heard you got to be kidding me. I was, I was ripped. Mm-hmm. I was like, you can, then, like, by game four, I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy's good. This guy's good. I'm not going to question Belichick going forward. Yeah. You know, well, and guys great. from Georgia seem to have worked out pretty well. Uh, again, the great symmetry, uh, you know, Seymour helping out on that 0-1 team. And, uh, of course, the rookie Sony Michelle this year uh, uh, running for almost 1,000 yards yeah. and, uh, you know, 400-yard games. Almost ran for 100 yards in uh, Super Bowl 53. So, yeah, yeah that's, uh, you know, yeah, nothing uh, nothing wrong with those uh, Georgia guys. you have any other thoughts uh, from the game overall? Uh, just, to, you know, again, is it just uh, – I just, just just to follow up, kind of like the the overview is like it was brutal, like not brutal, but the what did L.A. do for two weeks? They they ran the same offense, they ran the same plays, they just did whatever they do, you know, whatever they normally yeah. do. And the Patriots knew it was going to happen. They you know prepared for it, and they never adjusted. They never adjusted. How can you not have you know any adjustments to what you do? And I think that screamed out. And 
It was huge. And why, you know, and then conversely, the Patriots were, I mean, um, McDaniels was scrambling to, like, figure out stuff to do and trying to running pass and going deep, going short, you know, and then all of a sudden he switched to the uh, um, that uh, offense that they hadn't practiced all week. Or right. ever. They had, they had they really had run it, right? Yeah. They had run it the whole season. What they had two tight ends. What they had uh, Dwayne Allen and, and Gronk and out Gronk. there. Devlin, uh, Edelman, and uh, Sony Michelle. And Sony right? Michelle, yeah. right? Yeah, or, or Burkhead even. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But it was just those. Right. You're exactly. I mean, they hadn't run that offense all year. So here it is. I mean, you're down to like the last ten minutes of Super Bowl Fifty Three. The last ten minutes of your season, yep. possibly. And uh, all of a sudden, Josh McDaniels pulls out an offensive formation out of the hat that uh, we none of us had seen the whole year. And again, another yep. old school type. Formation, two tight ends, yeah. two running backs, a, a fullback. Well, right. I mean, you know, right. and one wide receiver who everybody knew was going to, you know, that you were going to throw to. I mean, and it, it, that still allowed, uh, El- amazingly, Edelman got open on that last. That was on the touchdown drive. Edelman got open. Gronk got open, obviously. I mean, where was the Rams' defense? I mean, I, I guess they kept the same personnel out there, which uh, they didn't substitute out their linebackers and they created mismatches uh, for both Gronk and Edelman. Yeah. Uh, to catch passes, but of those five offensive guys, I mean, really, it's just Gronk and Edelman. Only two out of the five are potential pass targets of Brady. But how what, do you not defend that? Well, <laughs> well, they 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 just got confused. Yeah, you know, never seeing it, never seeing it, and they ran the same play three plays in a row. It's called Haas and Juke. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw. And, it, yeah, right. yeah, and I it's like reference to that. They ran it three plays in a row. The same play three plays in a row. Same same play on two break. You know, same play on three break. And it and it. They got a touchdown, and that was obviously the difference in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, who, what, in, in, you know, in the history of the NFL or, or Super Bowl, does, do coaches like, create plays on the fly, never mind in a Super Bowl with 10 minutes left in a tie game? Crazy. Crazy. And, and it just yeah. shows you the difference between the two teams, how uh, the Patriots are malleable in their offense and defense, and L.A. just ran the same plays. Right, and apparently NFL Films captured this uh, with, uh, you know, they, they had uh, Belichick mic'd up during the game, and I guess they, they played some of the clips uh, last night uh, for the first time uh, from Super Bowl 53, and a lot of it had to do with Belichick just looking across the field like he always wanted to keep an eye on McVay, and he wanted to see how McVay was reacting, basically he just wanted to watch his reaction, I guess, or, okay. or even, uh, you know, I guess they were pointing out uh, this morning, too, I heard some uh, discussion on the radio about it, that, you know, there's a certain tell that he could have, he could figure out with McVeigh and that he just knew it was going to be the same predictable you know type of offense again going back to the fact that the Rams ran 95 percent of their yeah. offense this year out of that same yep. uh, what do they call it 11 formation mm-hmm. uh, uh three receivers one tight end one running back and uh yeah so you know Belichick just said well thank you very much for uh for not disguising it I mean it must have been for Belichick it must have been similar to prepping for a Steelers game right yeah. I mean you know the way the Steelers just go with hey we're gonna run what we run and you have to stop it and the Patriots usually do and, they do, <laughs> and, yeah. and have to And the same thing here uh, with the Rams, uh, even though it's a team they haven't seen. And, you know, I think it was, well, they hadn't played them since uh, last uh, regular season a year ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it was, uh, I don't know. It it was, it was interesting. The Patriots wouldn't have won. I mean, we won by one score, right? Well, they missed a field goal, but regardless. One by two. Actually, again, there's, there's some great irony when they, when they won against Atlanta, by six points, that was at the time the largest margin of any Patriots win in a Super Bowl. And they had to go to overtime to do it. Right. Here, you had the lowest scoring game in Super Bowl history, but it becomes the largest margin of victory, 10 points. I, you know, uh, just crazy. (laughs) Right. 
I mean, the Rams got held to three points. They got held to three points. Yeah, I would. I did not see that coming at all. I mean, yeah. even when the even in the first half when it was three nothing. I mean, I'm going okay. We've seen this before. The offenses are going to explode in the second half. Right. I mean, because we we've seen it in Super Bowls before. But uh, yeah, it's just it just it never happened. And again, to the you know the Patriots, uh, you know Belichick and uh, Brian Flores. I mean, uh, you know they you know maybe Belichick had a bigger hand in in the the defense uh, for this particular game than than we think. But still. Uh, you know, you, you know the personnel. Uh, they they reacted perfectly. They shut down whether Gurley was hurt or not. They shut him down. They they held the the running game of the Rams to sixty two yards, right. and right. then they just said, okay, we're going to make Jared Goff beat us. And again, that goes back to young quarterback, you know, facing a you know a Belichick led defense, and uh, you know this you know I think the other factor here too is you had the whole you know and I was reading this leading up to the game, the whole thing where McVeigh is talking in. Uh, Goff's helmet, right? right? Up until 15 seconds, and then the communication gets shut off. I mean, I'm wondering there, I wonder if the Patriots, at that point after the 15 seconds, now they're going to start giving different looks, and they're going to change it up, and guys are moving around, and then Goff has, you know, he has to, like, think for himself. He doesn't yeah. have McVay well, talking, saying, okay, well, just watch out for that linebacker sneaking over here from the from the blind side or, or whatever. Right, and, but uh, I think the Patriots were doing that. They were kind of doing that, uh, that uh, what do they call it, the amoeba defense, yeah, amoeba or the, right. you know, kind of walking around, and, you know, they had five. The play ground defense yeah. I think they called it too. they they had five secondary guys to begin with and that they used a lot and then they also uh were kind of just standing around so McVay couldn't do it so why wouldn't they just go like no huddle and just call mm. play, you know just like call yeah. play and just go and and you know hey if it didn't work that's okay because what you were doing wasn't working anyways and and they just didn't do that once they didn't you know so I I just think that that was a large um uh, you know, part of the whole game. And finding, uh, uh, going into the game, uh, I found out that the, you know, on, the, on my ride, you know, just listened to the radio, and they said uh, the L.A. Rams are one of the worst teams at third and seven or longer in the NFL. Just one of the worst. And that's because they try to get first downs on first down and second down. Like, they don't, it's called Canadian football. You know, you, right. you know, yes, you, it is called yeah. Canadian. No, well, no, like some it people is, call yes. it that because they, well, they, they, sure. they, they played the Canadian, like they right. just want to like get first downs and, you know, and whatnot. So, so I found that interesting that like this is the best, one of the first or second best offense in the NFL, yet on third and seven, they're horrid. And, you know, by the third or fourth time that they got to third and long, I was confident that the, I'm like, the Pats are definitely going to stop them. These guys can't do it. And, I, and part of it, I think, is, is they can't go play action. You know, it's basically you line up three or four guys on, on defense and then maybe blitz a guy and, you know, Goff's on his own. And I I did um, – so so I, I just thought that was – they put it in Goff's hands. Yeah. And he did nothing. It wasn't – I mean, he had a couple of good passes, one good drive. That was it. Sure. Well, you know, right. I mean, but yeah, for the most part, they just totally shut him down. And, you know, I'm thinking here even too, uh, you know, obviously one of the keys uh, – in the uh, you know the Super Bowl Fifty One win over Atlanta, and part of the comeback was the fact that they they ran so many more offensive plays than the Falcons did, and by yeah. doing that, they they kind of wore down the Falcon defense in the second half. And you know, I, I think they may have done a similar thing here to the Rams, even though the final uh, time of possession was only thirty three to twenty seven. The Patriots were only a six minute advantage. Yeah. But then I'm looking at the first half of this game. I mean, particularly the first quarter, Patriots had the ball for almost right. twelve minutes in the first quarter right. to just three for the Rams. First half basically. 
the Pats had the big advantage in time of possession, 20 minutes to 10. And uh, I, uh, the Rams probably literally needed that 30-minute halftime break, the extended halftime break, uh, not not because they wanted to listen to Maroon 5, but uh, because uh, they uh, <laughs> but but they, they probably needed it. But they never really did seem to catch their breath, even in the second half uh, when, when the defense wasn't out there for them as much. Yeah, no. And part of it, too, was it was, I mean, was it the first eight or nine possessions? Uh, the Rams punted. And, oh yeah, uh, right. I mean, and, it, and it really goes back to Goff, um, and maybe it's maybe there's a little something to do with uh, you know the Rams' offense in general. Um, in Goff's four playoff games, which generally you're playing better teams now, whether you're playing a better defense or not, you know wh- that he played, I'm not sure. But um, in his four playoff games, he's averaged under seven yards in attempt, and that's kind of the barometer of if you're playing well or not. And, or if the offense is – or the passing game's efficient. And, um, you know, he, he's well above that in the regular season. But in the playoffs, he's below that. Also, in the first half of this – the first 11 games he played, he had 26 touchdowns and six interceptions. In the last eight games he played, he had seven touchdowns and eight interceptions. So, you know, he's being exposed. And as each month went on – his passer rating got worse. Yeah. So our team's starting to figure out a little bit, you know, what the Rams are doing. And then when when it came to Belichick, Belichick's like, okay. Like, we, you know, we can see where they're successful and not and whatnot. And he obviously just put it into Goff's hands. And it was – and like Chris said, they get a decision. Maybe Goff's not the guy. Um, mm. You know – you know, come you know for you know going forward. Whereas, like at, by week eight, you'd be like, "Oh my God, Goff's going to make twenty five million bucks a year and you right. know, and whatnot." So, so that was that was kind of my takeaway, uh, my big takeaway on the game. Sure. Well, you know, the Rams. Uh, I believe they had a late bye week. I think it was like week eleven, and so a lot of those numbers you brought up with Goff uh, before and after. I mean, I some of the numbers I had seen with Goff was like pre buy and then post. Yeah. After the buy, which yeah. was like about six or seven games. Yeah, his numbers just went down tremendously. So again, you know, quality of the opponent as they went through the playoffs, of course. But uh, you know, just the fact. Yeah, I mean, again, you're running you're running ninety five percent of your offense out of the same basic formation, and uh, you know, of course, the other thing uh, their success was predicated on was a lot of play action from. Goff, which just never materialized in the Super Bowl either. Right. It just, I mean, nothing materialized for them. It was just, uh, you know, when you think about what the Patriots did their last two games, they, they shut out the top two offenses in the NFL this year in the first half of both of those games. One of them in, in the other team's stadium, which is very difficult to do, yeah. uh, certainly given the Patriots' history at Arrowhead as well. And and then to be able to turn around and do it to the Rams, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, boy, uh, what a... What an accomplishment, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm looking just at all the other things that kind of became uh, from this game. Brady, first 40-year-old quarterback to win a yeah. Super Bowl, if yeah. you can believe that. Of course, he skipped over, you know, he had a chance to do it last year when he was 40, right. didn't do it. Now he's 41, he did, he, he finally uh, becomes the uh, the first guy to do it, uh, you know, but. And, uh, he, and he, he got sacked once in the playoffs. Right, Littleton, I guess, got yeah. him in the Super Bowl, which I I vaguely remember. But uh, yeah, but again, the two guys that were supposed to get to him, Donald and Sue, never did. I mean, I think they they might have been they they got the hands maybe in front of them or something, maybe a couple of times, or maybe they forced a, a hurry out of Brady. But that was that was it. Right. I mean, the Patriots did a great job neutralizing those guys. Like I think uh, a lot of people outside of maybe Max Kellerman and some of the Boston radio right. hosts right. thought that would, would happen. But So uh, what what about the first play when they ran right at Sue and wham blocked him? 
Oh yeah, and they that was Michelle had what the fifteen yard run yeah. there. Yeah, right up. I mean, I'm watching that play right there, and I'm going, boy, I'm feeling really good right. uh, about you know. And then they got away from the running game, which kind of bothered me. It felt like uh, all of a sudden it was just Brady going back to pass all the time, and and I was kind of wondering why Josh McDaniels wanted to get well, away from the running game with after they you know that, that the first two or three times they handed the ball off, they looked really strong. Yeah. And of course, obviously the offensive line was doing a great job uh, run blocking as they had the whole postseason. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing, but. What could have been is the Patriots didn't want to be, you know, they did they they wanted to mix it up. So they came into it saying, "Hey, we're going to start out running the ball, and then when they get used to us running the ball, we're just going to, you know, sw- flip the switch and go, pa- you know, pass the ball." Now, Brady, I still can't believe the throw to Hogan. I mean, mm. he's covered, he's covered, yeah. and it was a bad throw, and yeah. you know he threw it behind him. It's like at least if he let him, it probably would have just been in the in, yeah, in incompletion. But I mean that made no sense. That was just weak sauce there. Do you think he know. saved all uh, Brady saved all his bad throws for Hogan because he targeted him six times and Hogan didn't have a catch? Well, yeah, there was one play where you know, remember when he threw it to his feet? Yeah, that one oh, yeah, play. Right. I heard that it was uh, it was probably um, um, Hogan's fault. Like Hogan was supposed to stop. But he didn't. But regardless, let's put that one on Hogan. The other four or five, he was either really covered, Brady made a bad throw, or Brady just threw in a coverage where it's like, why? Like, just throw it away. Like, you know, so, you know, regardless, um, I mean, Hogan doesn't get separation. And, you know, that's that's on him, I guess. But, um, you know, Brady was just, uh, he was off on, on a few things. And it just felt like he was forcing it a little bit to Hogan. Yeah. See, I, I don't remember off the top of my head what Hogan's contract situation is for next year, but I wonder, is, there, is it someone that they would think about bringing? Because it did feel like after, you know, last year and, the, you know, uh, the previous couple seasons, Hogan and Brady were clicking. Something seemed to happen this year where it didn't click at all for Hogan. And I'm wondering why, particularly even early in the year when they needed someone to fill the, you know, when Edelman missed the first four games with the uh, the PED suspension. Yeah. So. He's he, To me, he's one of those depth guys. That you want as depth, but when he gets in the game, you don't want him in the game. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like everyone <laughs> well, says right. about like pitchers in baseball, or whatever. It's like, oh, he's a great depth guy, but you know, you just don't want him to pitch. But he, I mean, he's uh, as far as his salary goes, I believe he's he can't be making a lot of money, and even if he is, um, it's one of those things deals where you can just say, hey, dude, you know, yeah, two million bucks or one point five, or we're gonna cut you, and then you know that's the decision on him, but. I don't know if they're going to bring him back. Yeah, he just he just doesn't get separation. Yeah, and if he's no longer in Brady's circle of trust, then I, I think that's yeah. I think you got to move on from him for sure. Another thing that surprised me out of this game, you know, certainly looking at the box score, but I didn't even have to look at the box score. I could just you know watching the game and the the lack of touches for for one James White. I mean, I've been reading in the in the couple of weeks leading up to this game that one of the areas where the Rams defense could be exposed was right. passes to the running back. Okay, yes. I'm thinking to myself, hey, James White, right there, man. I mean, we've seen the the 10, 15 reception games for right. White, and he right. he touched. He had one reception he had three touches i mean he was a non-factor in this game i mean i'm sure he, I mean, he must have probably thrown a few good blocks along the ways maybe uh somewhere but uh yeah i mean offensively he was nothing in this game and they were still able to uh you know to to score enough points to win i shouldn't say the you know it wasn't like the offense was a juggernaut but right. I, i'm just surprised that they couldn't have exploited uh that matchup i mean do you think it was a case that the rams were, were kind of trying to take james white out of the game or i only um I, I think that, yes, part of that, and I think part of it also was the Patriots because they always change. 
last year he threw 15. So it's mm. like, guess what they're going to do? They're going <laughs> to carry him. But I did notice on one play um, that uh, uh, the defensive lineman hit. Well, it was a pass play. And uh, um, James White was doing a wheel route. And the defensive lineman, the weak side defensive lineman, hit him and just followed him. So, which is unusual, you know, but that's what the Patriots did to Marshall Falk right, back yeah. in the day. So it's like, sure. so that's what, so it, they probably were keying on him much more than um, what, but I thought like they could have, uh, I don't know. I the, Really the thing was, was, you know, Hogan got his stuff. I mean, excuse me, Grant got his stuff and Edelman got his stuff and they ran the ball pretty good, but they didn't have anything else. Like that, it's almost like, Hey, this is it. Like, like they could have yeah. played another in over. If it went to overtime for two more quarters, they were still gonna do the same thing: either run the ball with Michelle and maybe Burkhead and throw it to Gronk or Edelman, and uh, like nothing else was working. Did Dorsett get anything? No, he's not even on the stat sheet. He had yeah. nothing. He wasn't even targeted. I don't. I don't even know if he got into the game at all. I mean, I guess he was listed as active, but right. uh, yeah, I don't know whether he was out there for formations. I I didn't get a chance to break down the all twenty two film to see if he was yes. out there, but yes. uh, or, or I didn't even read any of those stats either. But uh, you know, and then so okay, so the Rams did do a decent job taking James White out of the game, but they had no answer for Edelman at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's and they threw multiple guys at him, including old friend Akeem Talib, who uh, said, oh, "I'm giving up." on this. I, I don't yeah. have this kind of speed at my well, age. I'm too old for this yeah, uh, well, yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he was thinking well, that. He, he's, he defends the bigger receiver. That's, that's yeah. his. But that's they didn't even have... I know, does. I remember, I think, uh, once uh, it, when he was with Denver, they put him on Gronk. Yeah, and yes. uh, But I don't think that matchup materialized in this game either. No, well, um, they don't... The <laughs> Our receivers aren't that good, right? I mean, Dor- Dorsett... Had zero stats and Hogan was over six, <laughs> hey, and yeah, that six wasn't good. Here we are the Lombardi Trophy. Exactly. How does this work? <laughs> so, Talib is very good. He's a pro bowler, yeah. and uh, and Peters, he I'm, he's overrated, but he's yeah, yeah, not I the worst so. in the world. But he's a, so. What a strength of theirs is, was it became irrelevant to us because yeah okay guard Hogan guard Dorsett, you can't, like that's fine. Take those guys out. So, um, well, the point I'm getting at is on that um, James White thing, I also heard that they're not good with slot receivers, which makes sense because their linebackers are weak yeah. and their cornerbackers, cornerbacks are great, so they're just better at defending uh, you know, the outside receiver. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a good matchup for the, uh, the Patriots and Edelman, and you know, he was open a lot. They he was wide open. Yeah, uh, on he, almost right. every throw. Like I, I, I was at the gym last night and I saw the the replay for about half the game. Wide open, four or five yards is the closest defender, and he just catches and goes, and you know gets on his way. And I don't know, like that's you know, and the Rams just couldn't defend that, and they couldn't defend Gronk because Gronk's awesome, and we ran the ball well. And we only scored 13, so right. it's not like... No, I know. You know. There was hardly a, a juggernaut there right. uh, at all. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, we 
you know, Chris uh, Price was talking about Gronkowski's future, and he seems to think that, you know, maybe Brady can uh, coerce uh, Gronk to come back for, for another year, which I certainly hope so because, uh, you know, they have no other tight ends really on the roster to speak of. Again, Allen is just, you know, he, he can block, but that's it. And, you know, unless uh, one of the Hollister boys is going to come out of mothballs there. Right. But I know they, uh, the one the one active one they had uh, finished the year on IR. So, I mean, you know, I think there's still something there if you can, you know, and, and obviously Price wrote that article, you know, he was, uh, he interviewed Mark Bavaro, uh, kind of a good comparison, uh, similar stages in their careers. Uh, you know, I'd love to see, I mean, what's your feeling? Because I still think Gronk's going to make an announcement here that he's going to, he is going to retire and no matter how hard Brady tries to talk him out of it. Uh, I'm I hope I'm wrong. On this. But, yeah, uh, no, yeah. like I, I'm positive on it. Positive uh, that he's going to retire? No, I'm just positive, like being positive. Oh, I got to like, that positive. No, like, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm more positive. Not than positive negative. like Adam oh, Jones. No, 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 okay. no. <laughs> not no, no, no. <laughs> Positively gloomy, right? No, I just. Uh, I, uh, I think. Halfway through the season, just watching him play, just I mean, he's like Frankenstein out there. He's just stiff-legged, and mm-hmm. you know, couldn't get going, but. Well, it's how he pointed out all season, too. I mean, it just didn't look like Gronk was ever having any fun. And and that's right. the thing. An unhappy Gronk, that's right. not him. That's not his personality. And, you know, he he loves to play because it makes him happy. And if he's not happy while he's trying to play, right. then, yeah. Then what's the point, you know? Right, what, you yeah. Because he can do other stuff. So um, I would have said no, but I think he is. I think he's got that one more year. And like what Chris was saying, they don't play football. They don't practice football like they used to. He can sit out a game or two, you know. We got Cincinnati on the schedule. That, that you know, that that could be in you know, a week five. They, you know, that that could be that. A, a, yeah. a, you know, uh, you know. So in any case, uh, yeah, we got the Redskins on on the schedule too. Wow. So we could sit out those two games in the bye weeks. That's three weeks off right there. Jeez. So, anyways, so yeah, I think I think he's like if I think there's more than a fifty percent chance he's coming home. I mean, coming back, uh, yeah, right. but not more than 65. How's okay. that? All right. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, You're below 50. Though. I'll take it at this point. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I'm at like 49.9 at this point, for uh, at the very least. Well, it's also or fearful. The most, maybe. Like, yeah. I just, picture the Patriots tell Gronk. That's like a right. like, there's a big hole there. Oh, absolutely. Like, right. like L- physically, L- mentally, emotionally. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's always. Like, <laughs> it's like Gronk's gone. Yeah. It's, you know, that that's how it's going to be like. In, in, we're all, and we all have memories like just crazy memories of Gronk. Sure. And it's all like and I've always said I said to anybody who'll hear me, he's the best tight end ever because he's the best touchdown guy ever and the best blocking tight end ever. I'm glad you brought up the latter you know? too because I think people forget about that now. It seems like the the definition of a great tight end is just a glorified pass catcher, but you know, the thing with Gronk is he's always been a he always takes a lot of pride in his blocking, and in fact, he was you know even when the, some of the games this year when they weren't targeting him much, yeah. uh, you know he was out there throwing great blocks and, and springing guys like Michelle. This is a perfect segue because I did want to right. talk about uh, uh, Sony Michelle's rookie season. Uh, certainly uh, one of the more successful. I guess he he ran for more yards as a Pats rookie of anybody than uh, you have to go back to Lawrence Maroney, uh, I, I guess uh, in the 06 season. Uh, you know what? What do you, you know? Do you think Michelle was worth a first round pick? I mean, it feels like it the end of the year uh you know he's been a he's been a sound investment I mean it was funny because when they drafted him I, I think all the talk was he's kind of more of a pass catching back and they, they weren't sure he was really a three down kind really? of a back yeah. and and I guess he wasn't always a three down back maybe as much this year because they bring in Burkhead or White right but still uh you know Michelle was getting the bulk of the carries at least and 
you know, he looked, you know, he looked pretty impressive to me. I mean, what, what do you think he, like I say, do you think he was worth the first round pick overall? I mean, in general, I would say no running back is worth a first round pick just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think like what the Patriots have done for 17, 18 years is, you know, let's get Ben Jarvis Green Ellis and Shane Vereen yeah. in the third and fourth rounds and just, you know, let them play and split up the time. And after four or five years, they move on their ways. We bring in some, you know, and that's, with Maroney and, and whatnot. Um, and a lot of the NFL teams kind of are doing that anyways. But but when they got him in the first round, he played at Georgia, had a great career, and yeah. he can run the ball. And I just – I liked it. Well, I knew that he was good. I didn't know how it would play out for the Patriots because I'm used to the Shane Vereens, the James yeah. Whites, you know – those guys, even Burkhead, he's kind of a, you know he's, in, he's an above average runner, but I think he's a pretty good receiver. Um, anyways, but so I'm like, well, they'll use him. I figured he'd be like Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, four yards, whether you like it or not. He's it's yeah. always second and six, right? And, you know, never right. more than never six yards or more, and never one yard or less. He just you know does his three to five yards, and but. He's got a little speed to him, not not a lot of speed, mm-hmm. but he's he can he's got that twenty twenty five yards where he can do some damage. He can break a tackle or two. Now he's got to get a little better at the goal line, and I think, or even in short yard situation, and he was he wasn't good in the beginning of the year, but I think he got a little bit better as the year got on. Maybe the blocking just got better, and you know mm-hmm. that's what it was. Well, six touchdowns uh, in the playoffs. Uh, most of those were from. I mean, they weren't like all from the one yard line, but still. Right. You know, most of them were inside the five, uh, you know, so he was getting, like you said, he was getting better with that. And I, I think maybe maybe part of the reason Belichick decided to invest a first-round pick on a running back was just he's looking at his 40, soon-to-be 41-year-old yeah. quarterback heading into the season and, uh, you know, with, with his backup been traded away. Per direct orders, this is what you got. That's so, okay. uh, but, you know, by the way, you know, at the end of the year, I mean, you know, you, you know you're seeing the reactions, too, as that, as that game ended uh, Sunday night. You know, in Atlanta, you know, I didn't, you know, I don't know, was I expecting to see, I was expecting to see some of the hatred and the, you know, like, I mean, Brady and Belichick looked like there was a genuine, you know, love there for each other. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it sort of, I mean, I guess it's, you know, a championship tends to heal all the, uh, the ills of, uh, you know, what Seth Wickersham and everybody else was right. uh, reporting behind the scenes right. this year. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And and I think, uh, I think there was animosity. Hey, look, he was, he had the trade off, the trade was done with Detroit and it's like wait what and you know yeah. that there was a conversation and Belichick said he wanted to go with Garoppolo and I was one of those guys I'll go with Garoppolo I think part of me like I wanted to go with Garoppolo because I'm like hey we can get 10 more years mm-hmm. but I also wanted them to go with Garoppolo but you wouldn't have had this year necessarily I, mean, I, I don't think you would I don't think you would have yeah, but probably. but I also wanted to see how it was yeah so, but that's not like, anyways. Could I'm still not see saying, how it might be with someone else, but uh, you correct. know, it just won't be him. That's but, but I think, I think Belichick, he's so smart. When everyone is is throwing the ball forty five times a game, what's he doing? He's got a very good offensive line, big dudes. Yeah, he gets a big running back. He's gonna run the ball like all the defenses are trying to go smaller and quicker and faster to keep up with these third and fourth receivers. Sure. And Brady's like, no, nah, we're going to go with a fullback, 
Do you, remember, do you guys remember what a fullback is, you know, kind of thing? Yeah, I think a lot of folks forgot. Right. I mean, there's probably like five or six of them in the NFL. Like, nobody, you know, everyone carries a fullback from maybe the goal line or short yardage. But yeah. the Patriots use their fullback, and they use Dwayne Allen as a second tight end, you know, some of the time. And Gronk's a great um, blocker. So he's like, all right, well, every, when everyone's zigging, I'm going to zag. And, mm. Well, they won a Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> it's, like, I it's the incredible. You know, it really is incredible. I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, uh, what do you think Parcells must have been thinking watching the game from his couch? Uh, you know, you think he, you know, do you think he kind of had a tear in his eye for Bill? You think maybe the two Bills, like at that moment, had like this, the, you know, there was a connection. It's like, oh, that's my boy. You well, know, there you go, Smash Mouth football, just yeah, like yeah, I yeah. remember it. You know, the, it's, there's uh, a there's a bunch of old guys, old coaches that are, were thinking yeah. exactly what you said, like. This is awesome. Like this mm. is great. I loved it because I, I, I'm 54. I grew up on this. Yeah. No, I mean um, I, I remember it too. I and mean, it's I'm only I'm 51. Right. Right. It's, so right. It's, uh, so and yeah. and and it's it's a different game. It's a different, uh, you know, pinball throwing it around. Yeah, that's fun for a while, but it's just a bunch of dudes catching mm. balls and running around. Actually, it's interesting we both you know, threw those our ages out because, uh, you know, earlier this year, that 54-51 final, you know, was considered like right. the poster child for the league this year. Remember right. everyone was, you know, all, you know, Sports Center was high, you know, all the NFL network. This is like, oh, let's just break down every highlight of this game. This is what the future's all about, KC and, and L.A., and that's, uh, you know. I watched that game. I don't remember one play from it. Don't remember one play. Well, admittedly, the Patriots weren't playing in the game, but <laughs> right, but right, get <laughs> a little less memorable. Well, but, true, you know, but but it's not one yeah. play yet. I I'll always remember Brady's throw to Hogan's feet. Yeah, because it was just like <laughs> yeah, okay. because every play counted. Yeah, and it's like what was that? Like mm. holy cow, um, you know. So, um, and that's what you in a fifty four fifty one game. Who cares? You know, I just can't get over the fact, again, there were no replay challenges. You didn't have any yeah. pass interference calls in this game. I'm thinking to myself, I have a feeling going into that broadcast, CBS had all these little gadgets and things they wanted. You know, I think they used that pylon cam once, and it was to show a punt. I mean, that they were so yeah. desperate to unveil the pylon yeah. cam on their broadcast. Yeah. That's the only time. They, but I have a feeling they had a whole lot of other things they were going to, you know, like super replay. They wanted to show, like, some controversial play from 17 angles. And they had every camera that would have, like, zoned in on someone's foot, whether it was in pounds or not. Yeah. And you didn't have any calls like that at all. Like you said, like you were saying, this is just a total throwback type of game back to the 70s when the Super Bowl scores were, you know, something like 13-3. to 3. Yeah. And I also can't get over, you know, it, it took 11 years, but uh, the Patriots are finally linked back to the uh, 1972 Miami Dolphins. How? Well, here's how. They are, well, first of all, they're only the third team to do this and the first team since the Dolphins to have lost a Super Bowl, came back the next year, and won. Everyone, I I know, we all remember the 72 Dolphins, 17-0. What we forget is they lost the Super Bowl the year before, and that was their revenge tour, 17-0 the next season. I mean, well, I mean, back then they weren't hyping things the way we do now. Certainly, A little bit more now. Right, but... Um, so, right, so the Patriots are the first team since that, and uh, the Cowboys actually the year before had also lost a Super Bowl and then came back to win the next year. They they beat Miami in that Super Bowl, and then the Dolphins came back and beat the Redskins, but the Patriots, uh, with the lowest-scoring Super Bowl in history, they broke the record of Super Bowl seven. Yeah. Dolphins 14, Redskins 7. That sure. was the old record. And uh, three, there were three scores in that game. There were three scores in uh, Super Bowl 53. So, uh, yeah, so I, I always thought the Patriots would be connected to the 72 Dolphins. Uh, I, you know, I thought it was going to be 11 years ago, but it, it took a while. He, right. They're linked back to them again in my book. So right. it was uh, 
you know, uh, not to mention, too, again, just what an improbable season this was because I, I believe the only team prior to the Patriots this year to win the Super Bowl with a losing road record were the 2010 Packers. Yes, that's correct. And they, okay, I think that they, okay, no, go ahead. Yeah. What? No, 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 no. No, no, well, they ended up, I think, with a better winning record on the road because they played all their playoff games on the road in one, but that's... That's here. No, oh, okay. That's here, no, right, there. right. Oh, that's true. They were the wild card. They right. Yeah. They were the sixth seed. Yeah. But yeah, point. no. That like that's crazy. That's how about this? The the other thing that's super crazy is we played five or six playoff teams. Oh yeah, beat them all. Right. Not including not including the playoffs themselves. Right. But we went five and zero. Oh yeah, it was uh, you beat the Bears, Packers, and oh, no, obviously Houston, not Indy, Casey, Chicago, and. Um, I thought there was a fifteen. Maybe it was just the four. Wait, you said Houston, Indy, KC, and Chicago. Yeah, Houston, uh, Indy, KC, Chicago. Maybe that's it. Who who was it? Yeah, no one else from the. Yeah, area. that's it. Because it was San Diego. Well, they didn't play. Yeah, they didn't play the Chargers in the regular seat. You know, so. Uh, but who yeah, did San Diego play in the playoffs? First round. Oh, Baltimore. Oh yeah, right. Okay. The Patriots didn't play them either. And then so. we we played Chicago and nobody else made. Okay, so right. we we're four and zero against. Yeah. Uh, well, three of those were at home, and then the the, right. the the Bears game, which was the only quality road win the Patriots had in the regular season this year, uh, came down to the last play of the game, a hail mary that they stopped at the one yard line mm-hmm. as opposed to the uh, crazy finish uh, in Miami. So, yeah. So and, and and then beating the teams in the playoffs, obviously we beat the playoff yes, teams. Right. So right. we were seven and zero against playoff teams. Mm-hmm. And then who did we lose to? Detroit? Yeah. I still remember that game watching it. I didn't know what was going on. The Patriots could not stop the running game of Detroit, and they couldn't do anything on offense. And I mm-hmm. still can't. That team is horrid. I swear the only reason Detroit won that game was Patricia with, you know, having some insider knowledge and maybe having some really? idea. And I, I, well, I mean, maybe in that game, Belichick kind of just uh, maybe wasn't, tr- you know, trying as hard to change yeah. things up. Maybe he just kind of stayed with the same thing. Maybe it was almost kind of one of these, like, I dare you, I dare you to beat what I'm, you, you think you know what I'm going to do, Matt Patricia? Well, yeah. I'm going to do it. And now you've got to stop right. it. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna and then amazingly, nothing. he right. did stop right. it, you know. Right. But uh, but they weren't, you know. But the other factor too is all those teams that they lost to, or you know, none of them were the same after they beat the Patriots. I mean, you know, Correct. how about Jacksonville Correct. last year, AFC Championship game finalist. This year, missed the playoffs entirely. Correct. And in fact, you know, after they beat the Patriots in that 110 degree game in, in Florida at the beginning of the season, just, I mean, they just they they wilted like the yeah, heat. I yeah. mean, they were just. And I don't, I mean, you know, they put all their energy into beating the Patriots and then forgot, oh, yeah, wait, wait, it's only week two and we still got a whole season yeah. left to play. And, yeah. You know, now they've got to question who's going to be their quarterback. You know, and even just getting to the whole hangover effect, too. Uh, you know, the teams the Patriots have beaten in Super Bowls recently, Seattle, Atlanta, they haven't been the same teams since they beat them on the biggest stage. What about the Rams? I mean, Chris Price kind of alluded to it. Uh, you know, there's the Rams are considered one of the four favorites if you saw the odds for next year. But, you know, history says when you lose the Super Bowl, you know, the Patriots had to defy those odds to do what they did this year. Right. But but history says that when you lose the Super Bowl, you struggle the next season. And, you know, in the case of, like, Seattle and Atlanta, they're still kind of struggling, too. I mean, it, that's that's more of a Patriot effect than losing the Super Bowl effect, you know, the combination of the two. 
I mean, I don't know what to expect from the Rams next year now. And again, I guess you pointed it out here. You know, what's the future? Is Jared Goff the answer there? Is yeah. McVay going to decide maybe he needs another quarterback, uh, someone who's maybe a little quicker on the draw? Yeah, and they uh, they loaded up this year with trades and free agents. Like Tlaib's a free agent. Sue's a free agent. Yeah. Um, and they have a, a, a Saffold is a guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have about seven or eight guys that are free agents. And, you know, they got to resign them. And two years from, you know, for the 2020 season, Gurley, and if they resign Goff, because, you know, he can re up for that fifth year for the, you know, the rookie. Oh, right, on, right. He'll make 20 million. Both of those guys combined would be 40 million bucks. That's twenty five percent of the salary cap. So that's why it's like okay. So they're all in. You know, they they went all in. They're like, we like golf and we like our offense. So let's go get dudes. They got one. They their windows one more year because after that, um, well, next year I think Gurley's contract kicks in, and then uh, Goff's contract kicks in. Uh, you know, the the two years from now. So the the point being is like it gets real, like, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you got to start paying two guys. A twenty-five percent of your salary cap, mm. you know, and that's what the Patriots never do. Yeah, they avoid that. They never do that, and that's probably that's one of the things that they do to keep this, you know, eighteen-year run going. Mm. You know, another thing I just thought of with Goff too, and why the, the his numbers dropped off, uh, you know, late in the year, uh, Cooper Cup going down yeah. with the uh, torn ACL. I mean, that was kind of his binky receiver, and uh, you know, once he went down. I mean, it, it just caught up to them. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, they lost Edelman last year. And you know, right, granted, Brady put up some numbers and he had a record-setting Super Bowl last year. But he still, you know, the argument could have been made maybe if, if Edelman's there, Brady doesn't maybe throw for 500 yards, but he'll find Edelman enough that they'll probably uh, be able to outscore the Eagles uh, uh, last year. But, uh, you know, another factor here, too, just really quick. Uh, you know, the Eagles beat the Patriots last year because – you know, Doug Peterson really wasn't afraid of the Patriots, and they took risks and, and gambles. And, and, you know, again, you have McVeigh conversely, this year for the Rams just kind of, you know, sitting back there and not doing anything unusual or changing things up or trying to, you know, catch the catch the Patriots off guard. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the Falcons to a degree kind of similar as well. I yeah. mean, these teams are they're predictable, and you can't be predictable against the Patriots if you want to beat them. You know, you beat them in the biggest game. Right. And that that's what I, what you just said, like, with Philly. Like, Philly just came in and said, all right, th- you know, this is what we do, but we're going to do a lot of this stuff. We're going to go for it on fourth down. We're going to go for it at the goal line. We're going to do a lot of things. We're going to throw to our quarterback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and complete the pass. Exactly. You know, so, uh, yeah, so they, they were just doing a lot. You know, they were they, – but it still goes back to McVay added nothing. Mm. And he's considered supposed Nothing. to be. I even said it on when we had the the, sh- the the preview show last week. Uh, I was talking about how I think he's being considered as kind of like the heir apparent to Belichick in terms of you know the next great coach. I'm not saying he's going to win six championships right. or anything, but the fact is that that's how he's being touted. He's he's this great offensive mind and scored three points in the Super Bowl. Right. I, that's right. Well, he's 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 33. You're right, he half the age of Bill he Belichick. He doesn't have a lot of experience. You know, someone oh, – I wish I pulled up his resume because, like, six years ago he was, like, a receiver's coach. For the like, Redskins, I think, right? Well, I, six years ago? One, two, yeah. Well, yeah. He mm-hmm. was just, like, you know, doing nothing. Like, he, you know, he wasn't – he was just a dude. And then all of a sudden, six years later, he's 
you know, the next, you know, great coach. And then they're spurring off all his uh, uh, assistants to be coaches. Zach Taylor. Mm. Yeah. Zach Taylor's the quarterback coach for the Rams. He and had a responsibility to take care of one dude. Mm. And we saw it. And now he's heading <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals. Great F for that kid. <laughs> yeah. Right. Have fun, Cincinnati. Like, uh. good luck. Good luck enjoying. You know, like, that's the next. That's so. If the Patriots do play Cincinnati next mm. year. Well, the bar's not set very high there. All he's got to do is win one playoff game. He'll beat Marvin Lewis's 18 years. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. 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 But at least Marvin no, would win the regular. Like this, yes, I know. Right. This yeah. is a 35-year-old kid, 35-year-old dude who's got no experience doing anything other than taking care of Goff, and Goff got an F in the yeah. one game, in his biggest game. And, you know, that's what Belichick's going against. Like, n- next year we have Cincinnati on the schedule. Mm. That's a win. Yeah, that's just show up and we got to win. Right. No, you know? it's true. Hey, speaking of young coaches that pay in their dues, Brian Flores uh, came up right through yeah. the Patriots system, and he's in his thirties still as well. And now he's going to be the the coach of the Dolphins. I mean, is this a case of them, you know, trying? To, is it the case of the Dolphins just trying to capture something off the Belichick tree, which is uh, history has shown has not been overly successful? I mean, what do you do? You think that uh, he's going to do a, a good job in Miami? Because you know, Belichick seemed to kind of, you know, willingly. I mean, I, not that I guess he would have had a choice, uh, you know, but uh, I, he, he could be good. I, like, I'm, I can't say he won't be good, but he could be good. A lot of the defensive players this year spoke very highly of, of Flores. You know, I think McCourty uh, was yeah. one of them for sure, who uh, who had said, uh, you know, it was a it was a marked change this year for you know going from Patricia to Flores. I mean, he didn't say it by use their names, but he made it very clear like this year was different and the defense played better yeah well they were a lot more they're pretty passive with patricia how many times we yell at the tv like with patricia it's the same like he would just Mm. run he didn't blitz that often flores was blitzed a lot like he and he and he changed things up but that doesn't correlate you into being a good coach and secondly who's his offensive coordinator chad o'shea Oh yeah, right. who's our receivers coach? Now he's got right. no experience being offensive coordinator. Mm. He's got Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Oh well, no, I think they might be moving on from him. Sure, I, I then, think I read that yeah. this week or last week. They're gonna do the, we do we know what quarterback that they're? Bringing I don't in? know. I mean, okay. maybe they're going to draft one, and they're probably going to try to sign a free agent too. I would think they can't. I mean, who right. was their back? Who was the backup this year to to Tannehill? Well, I don't. Even I know they've had him. Matt Moore for a few years, but oh, I don't yeah. know if he was still there. But, but, but it yeah. doesn't matter. Right. He's not. It's not going to be good. It's got to be somebody else out of the they, – they don't have a good quarterback. So, okay, they have, a co- they have a coach with no experience. They have an offensive coordinator with no experience being an offensive coordinator, and they don't have a quarterback. And I heard yesterday or today they're actually going to be tanking. I did – yeah, I think I heard the They're actually – because they know that they're horrid. So, okay – so he's going to get experience coaching, but what's he coaching? If they, because I don't think they have much talent, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, because they got rid of Sue, they got rid of Jarvis Landry right. uh, this year or the you know last year, or whatever. But they got rid of a few guys, and it's like they were stripping down already, and that's like, all right. Yeah, you said the 2019 schedule for the Patriots included the Redskins and the Bengals. Yes. Okay, I've already got eight wins then for the Patriots next year, if if nothing else, just for showing up. The AFC East in those two games. The, That's eight wins well, right there. Well, the, and, the Jets play him tough. In okay. in New Jersey, they play him tough. And yeah, and I suppose maybe I'll, Gase. I'll respect is, them. I like Gase, actually. Yeah, I like Right. Gase. I mean, I think that was a pretty good deal for the Jets. So, I mean, but, but I'm with you. 
usually five and one works, like because we usually lose at Miami right, and yeah. beat well, everyone else. Right, of course, right. <laughs> and I actually like the coach in Buffalo, but they just don't have talent. Their mm. defense is good. They have no, they have yeah, no, no offensive talent. Yeah, they have no quarterback. Yeah, I was gonna say you were there firsthand to see oh, that yeah? Monday night game. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you know. It's, but uh, um, yeah. So that's five and one. They got they got Cincinnati that's six and one, and they got Washington that's mm. seven and one. Yeah. That's just waking up in the morning. That's what I mean. Rolling out of bed. There August. You go. We got we got seven wins. Right. And meanwhile, the rest of the league's still trying to figure out how they're going to win seven. Well, maybe half right. the league's trying to figure out how to win seven games. Period. Well, that's for the whole well. This season. is this is how we get as Patriots fans. Oh, like, okay, Pittsburgh's spoiled. a mess. Pittsburgh's <laughs> yeah, a mess. We right. have them on the schedule. Uh, Baltimore's got their rookie quarterback. Okay, he. There's no reason why he should be mm, good. Lamar Jackson. He got exposed. San Diego exposed him. Oh yeah, them. yeah, sure. And then Cleveland with you know, God bless Cleveland. I mean, yeah, like mm. so far out of all the teams, like they're the most legit one maybe that we've talked about. Yeah, uh, the Giants. That's a win. Like, and I'm not one of these guys that says oh win 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 loss. You know, like, but it's going to be hard to lose those games. Mm. And we have Dallas at home, and we will beat Dallas because they're one-dimensional. And there's no way Kraft wants to lose to Jerry Jones. Yeah, we got him. In fact, I think we're going to play him in the opening week. That's my, that's my prediction. Oh, right, because the Thursday right now, the right Right. exactly Thursday night they'll open at Gillette. uh, Right. With that that week one game, Um, I got to mention Jason McCourty for a second, only because uh, you know. Well, obviously, it was. It's really cool having you know a pair of twins in the game and all that. Yeah. Uh, but do you realize Jason McCourty literally over the last two years, and I'm, I'm using the word literally, literally, I'm using it correctly or accurately. Uh, he has been on both ends of the NFL spectrum in the last two seasons. Uh, in the, two, the 2017 Cleveland Browns went 0 and 16. Yeah. The 2018 New England Patriots are Super Bowl champions. You can't get more extreme no. than that. <laughs> and for him, and I, you know, he kind of alluded to that in some of the post game uh, interviews and and whatnot. I, boy, I, I hope Bob, I hope Bob Kraft can uh, talk the McCourty twins into coming back because. Uh, you know, if you're Devin McCourty, you've won three rings, one with your twin brother. So what else do you need to prove? I mean, the guy's a great, you know, he's on, uh, he does the quick slant show now. Actually, I think they both do the quick, the, both of the twins do the quick slant show. Oh, they there do, yeah. On the, yeah, I, th- I think I've seen them both on there. But I think, yeah, maybe Devin's the permanent one and they bring Jason in some weeks or something. But, uh, right, I mean, so he's got a career in broadcasting lineup if he wants it. I mean, he's... You know, relatively, I mean, his head's there. Is uh, you know, he hasn't been all beat up that badly. I mean, you know, for him to walk away now, like, what more does he need to accomplish? Yeah. But I'm thinking of a gaping hole in that secondary if he. And well, then the other factor too, actually, he's got the big contract number next year too. So I think the Patriots would have to rework that number because I think he comes back at something like, like nine or is it nine million or so? It's it's a it's a pretty big number that you know overall you probably would say maybe Devin McCourty's not worth that, but. You're going to be losing some experience in that secondary if he decides to, to retire. What's his number this year? Do you know? I, I don't know off the top yeah. of my head. But yeah. I, I, I think it's a bigger number next year, which is, I think, why some of this talk is coming right. up because he probably knows that the Patriots are going to approach him and tell him he's going to, you know, they're going to have to rework his uh, deal. But uh, if it's nine and they say just come back for one more year, seven year, seven million, you know, I don't know, like that might keep him here and he might be like, yeah, okay, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, but when you say you, Thinking about retiring, yeah, that's oh. usually the usually you are. 
And that's right. why I think Gronk, he's been saying that for a year now. Yeah, you know, but I think Gronk can be talked into staying. That, that's what <laughs> everyone's saying. Because he's Gronk. He's, he's Gronk. Come on, he's dude. Goofy. Dude, he's, you know, dude uh, go get yeah. your girl. Let's yeah. go get some right, beers right. and yeah. let's talk about this. And, like, well, you know, yeah. that's how it kind of, like, I can see Gronk doing it. Mm. And whatever. He was having I, fun I, at I that parade uh, yesterday. Uh, yeah. You know, of course, I think the uh, the, the almost summer-like temperatures probably helped, too, yeah. uh, the unusually. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you realize that a million and a half fans at that parade? No. Like, yes, but no. Like, and they I had 35,000 at the send-off rally yeah. the week before Gillette Stadium. Do you know how many Rams fans were at their send-off? Oh, yeah, was it like 2,000 or something? They had hundreds. It was like or, 300. Well, you know why? They did it in front of their new stadium, which is still under construction. So yeah. the fan, those fans had to, like, make their way around the scaffolding. Right, and they had to. They brought the shot in. <laughs> like, yeah, right, like, really, yeah. Uh, right, just like, by, close, like the right. Rams logo where it is yeah. on the stadium. Yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't want to show the Chargers logo, which I'm sure is also, you know, sightable with you too in that stadium. But, yeah, no, that's. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, so anyways, yeah, no, so. How about the crowd in the state? How about the crowd at the at the Mercedes Benz Stadium itself? I mean, that was you know it's like Brady j- joked right. after the game. Right. I mean, this was like playing at Gillette, right. except it was a dome and the right. crowd was even louder right. as a result. But that was crazy. Like every time the Rams, you know, Goff has the ball, you're hearing the cheers. I'm going, you don't hear this right. in a Super Bowl. Right. I mean, there's not. It's always a half and half crowd, and usually half the at least half the fans aren't really fans at all. They're just they're 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 from corporations and they're right. they're all neutral observers. Right. And and the the teams we played have, you know, in the Super Bowls have had, if not rabid fan bases, like fan bases that will travel. So we've never really, I don't think we've ever really been like the, you know, the dominant team or the the most fans in the stadium team. So, yeah, it was kind of like, huh, okay, plus we're usually the favorite and everyone wants the Patriots to lose so you so we have that going into the game like so we're like you know listening to any negative stuff that we can uh you know pick up on right um but it was just all positive and that that's why I asked the question to Chris it's like everything was like casual and like upbeat and a vibe that was like positive and and what made me think what what I would be what I was thinking about was there's nobody from Los Angeles that's Mm. questioning us Telling us we're no good, yeah. you stink. There's no Rams fans. I, well, there's I think, like 20 uh, of them in the world, I think. What was it, Nickel Roby Coleman, I think, tried to do his best Freddie Mitchell impression. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, he yeah. said something before the, yeah. the, the Fred X. leading up. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, right. so so it's almost like we could say and do whatever we wanted, and there was no blowback. And it's like, mm. all right. So I think we had all that stuff going on. And then, like they said, like 80% of the people there were, were uh, Pats fans. Yeah, you know? and they were making a lot of noise too. It's really something. Well, you know, just for the record, uh, you know, the I think I, I might have mentioned this on last week's show. The the TV ratings in Los Angeles for the two conference championship games they got higher ratings for the the Patriots Chiefs game in Los Angeles than they did for the Rams Saints game. Really? Yes. Now there, it's part. It, it's possible that some of the reason for that was because. The Saints Rams game was played at noon local time. Yeah. On the West Coast, so perhaps, yeah, it's noon time in Southern California. What do you? What are people doing? They're they're certainly not glued to their TV sets. What you know? But but again, it just goes to show you. And the scary part is the Rams have so much more fan support than the Chargers do in yeah. Los Angeles because at least they were getting good crowds at uh, at the Coliseum, right. or they have been for the last couple of years. Yeah. Whereas. Uh, you know the Chargers could even fill a little soccer stadium up. And, yeah, the, the, I mean the Chargers are in trouble because <laughs> the Rams. First of all, like the Jets are in trouble. Like not that they're in trouble, but like 
The Jets will always be the little brother to the Giants, always, no matter what. doesn't matter. They could win Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Really? They're always going to be the little brother to the Giants. Yes. But, but if the Giants suddenly were bad and... and uh, but people aren't going to switch allegiances. No, but the but the Jets fans will get louder, I guess, is the point. But I mean, there's so few. That's the whole thing. Like, yeah. do you want to be a Jets fan? Did you... This was the 50-year anniversary of the Super Bowl Do you want to be a Jets fan? Where's my list here? The the, uh, New Jersey Jets. Actually, they're okay. No. New Jersey. Yeah, well. Again, happy 50-year anniversary to to those Jets. That was their last Super Bowl appearance and uh, championship. Yeah. 1969. So, so yeah. So, in Los Angeles, the Rams are the number one team. The Raiders are the number two team. The Cowboys are the number three team, and then the Chargers come in with their, you know, 2,800 fans. Speaking of the Raiders, by the way, did you hear they're going to be playing possibly at the, the Giants baseball park next year? I heard that they were playing at a baseball field. I assumed it was still Oakland, Alameda County. Coliseum. Well, no, that's technically Oakland. I mean, that they, they actually, well, no, they said they were going to be playing in San Francisco. Yeah, the Giants. And the, Giants and the only, right, the only stadium in San Francisco is the Giants. Plays, right. uh, whatever, it used to be Pac Bell. I think it's right. AT&T now, whatever. Right. But that uh, beautiful park, by the way, I went there like one of the first years it opened. What a mess. Uh, but, yeah, I can't believe they're going to let the Raiders and their fans into I mean, I was in that, like, I would think that, like, San Francisco would, like, say, uh, we're not letting, you know, they right. know what the Raiders fans right. are like and everything. Right. Let them into that nice little ballpark. Right. And, you know, my, right. I don't know. But but you're right. It, it, it's a mess. I mean, they have nowhere to play next year, I guess, technically, because their lease ran out in Oakland. I don't think they want to go back there anyway. Uh, but they still have to wait. You know, the the, uh, the stadium in Las Vegas won't be open until 2020. They, they should have had the Rams and the Raiders play in L.A. Because one's an NFC team, one's an AFC team, so that wouldn't yeah. matter either way. And San Diego either goes to Vegas or San Diego stays in San Diego. Where they had fans. Yeah. Or, you know, just do, you know, make San Diego. San Diego was kind of irrelevant in San Diego. Not irrelevant to the fans, but, like, eh, San Diego's kind of cute. Like, it's nice. Like, yeah. You know, regardless, I don't know why they had the Raiders. I don't know why they had San Diego go to L.A., Anyway, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think that they're ever going to be – I don't think ever, not in my lifetime anyways. Well, you know, again, talking about L.A., you had the Red Sox beating the Dodgers, yes. the reigning World Series yes. champions. Now we got the Patriots beating the Rams, uh, the reigning uh, Super Bowl champs. Uh, the, uh, the Lakers and the Clippers are both going to be at TD Garden this week, along with the Kings of yes, Los Angeles. I actually noticed that. Did yes. you know, what, what kind of an alignment is this? Very know. like hashtag beat LA, I guess, yeah. right? I mean, that's what it's all about. And the Bruins at home against the, the Kings? Bruins are home against right. The, so those it's are all, all home those games, games are home games. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Oh, so Saturday's a doubleheader. It is. Yeah, one and I think one and eight. Yes. Uh, for the uh, the game, right? Because I think the the Celtics teams will be nationally televised. That's their Saturday night. That's uh, right. Showcase or whatever they call it. But uh, right. Yeah. So right. I mean, those. Uh, I don't know who could have made up this kind of schedule, but you know. And for the record, I you know. I know the odds are long that you could have a Celtic-Laker NBA Finals this year, but if, if the Lakers were to somehow trade for Anthony Davis by tomorrow uh, right. and the Celtics continue to get, get hotter, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out at this point. It yeah. just, that would just be even crazier. than Or or even better, we get Anthony Davis in the offseason, which, once again— Oh, no, that would be know, better. Believe yes. me, I don't want him to be a Laker. I'm just no. I'm saying that's the only chance the Lakers would have this year of getting to the NBA yeah, Finals, yeah. I think. Right. Uh, there's just too much other uh, good teams out there in the West to— to, uh, to you know, even with LeBron out there now, but uh, yeah, he needs help if he's gonna make another trip to the finals this year, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, 
So, so what's your uh, what what you taking the Patriots next year? Like, what's your feel, your vibe, or whatever? Well, you know, it's easier to look at them in a positive light coming off a yeah. Super Bowl win than the history that they were fighting going into this year. And as I said, I didn't, you know, I I actually predicted the eleven and five. I, I did not see them getting back to the Super Bowl for sure uh, this year. No, I mean, you know, obviously Vegas has, has them as one of the four top favorites and. Why aren't they there? You pointed it out. I mean, Pittsburgh looks like they could be a mess again. I mean, who's there in the AFC ready to... I mean, at the very least, they should probably get back to the AFC Championship game again, right? I, I don't... They should have the best Although record. they could be losing... You know, it, it's probably going to depend on the turnover this offseason. If Gronk retires, if the McCordys retire, uh, you know, they got to bring Trey Flowers back. That's that's free agent priority number one. And if they can't, I would say franchise them. I don't know what the number would be yeah. if, you, if they franchise tagged them, but I think they got to do it. I mean, that guy was in the backfield. And, you know, he got in the backfield a few times in the Super Bowl as well. But just, you know, for there were some games this year where he was really, like, I think the only defensive guy on the field that was making an impact for the yeah, Patriots. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they, they got to find a way. And he's in the prime of his career right now. They got to bring him back. I mean, they need they need to be able to get pressure on the quarterback, uh, you know, especially if, uh, you know, if, if say, uh, you know, Greg Schiano comes in here and wants to dial up some more blitzes uh, uh, with this defense. Mm-hmm. But, uh I, yeah, I don't. Because I think, like, what do you think? I mean, what do you? What well, do you, <laughs> I think it's us in Kansas City, and I'm I'm done with San Diego because I thought San Diego played really well last year. Yeah, but in the but end, I think most were... of their guys are coming back. No, I mean, what? Makes oh yeah, you that's think? fine. But... In fact, Melvin Gordon will be healthy next year, I think. Right? Well, they they all start healthy, but you know, yeah, eventually right. some well, someone yeah, gets right. hurt. Especially those guys. Those yeah. guys in San Diego always get hurt. But. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Philip Rivers, he in big games, he always has a little two or three drive run where he just throws it away, misses guys that are wide open. He just gets amped up, I believe. Anyways, yeah, no. I just think they are what they are. Talent wise, they're great. Um, and they aren't, they'll, they'll be good. They'll probably be the third or fourth best team right. again in the, uh, in, the, in the AFC. But Kansas City, they were 0 5 against their five best teams that they played. They were three and five against the eight best teams they played. All playoff teams. Okay. But three. you know what? Mahomes is the real thing. He you can you can see that for sure. Yeah. Well the, but as great as he is, their defense was last. True. So that's what they're gonna probably be looking at to to try to to beef up in the yeah. draft, I would think. I mean, that's gotta be their their mm-hmm. you know, they're gonna be targeting defensive guys. But yeah, I mean if they can and maybe they sign a free agent too or somebody who can help make a, a an impact defensively. If they yeah. do that, yeah, I mean they should be stronger. But yeah, you look at the rest of the conference, boy, I don't you know Pats and K C maybe I mean Cleveland will be better, you know, 'cause they I mean they're they they'll win it. Well. What about what about Indy? Uh, um, another healthy year out of luck, maybe. Yeah. They could be really good. Uh, thing that no one ever talks about is they did have the easiest schedule in the NFL last year. Oh, okay. but having said that, the first six games they were horrid, and then the last ten they, you know, they turned it around, and you could yeah. see, you know, they protected Luck well, and they need another receiver uh, to go with Hilton. Um, what about the Texans? I like them a lot, but they've got you know no play. Bill O'Brien has no playoff wins or has won. In his and still has the best record of any uh, Belichick assistant who's true. gone on, you know, at least as a head coach. Right? But, uh, but, but you know, they're a team that has to prove it to me before I'm going to give them because they they usually come up small, and we, the Patriots, own Houston. 
Jim- and their varsity jackets. Exactly. Right? Yes. Say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, JJ yeah. Watt does nothing against the Pats. Nothing. No, I know. You know. So any. So yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, it's also easy to say now, especially after a Super Bowl win. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what I mean. Things look a lot rosier when they right. when they win the thing. But and, the uh, Patriots. I mean, they had an off year, and we came within a. We should have been twelve and four. Yeah, right. you know that of Miami course, game right, should yeah. have been. So we had an off year and went twelve and four, which would have gotten them the home field all the way through. They wouldn't have had to go to Kansas City, right. which would have made that AFC game maybe even maybe would have made more lopsided if yeah. it had been at Foxborough. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, no, it's hard not to like them again next year, but it's gonna. I don't know. There's gonna be a lot of. I feel like there's gonna be a lot of changes to the roster, and so for that reason. That's the uncertainty part of it. I think when you look at the rest of the AFC, you can say, hey, I, I like their chances because Brady and Belichick are coming back, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they are both coming back, right? I mean, I know Brady's already gone on and said, you know, odds are he put the zero up in that interview. And, uh, you know, and Belichick's not going anywhere either. I think right? Belichick's having fun. And I think his kids yeah. are – he works with his kids. That was a good question you asked Chris about the uh, about his kids too because I didn't really – factor that in and maybe that is the one thing yeah. even if maybe say Kraft is interfering a little bit with with some of what Belichick would like to do with the roster yeah. I mean again the fact he's got his son's coaching with him uh, you know maybe that's uh, enough of an offset there uh, you know yeah. and, he, and he still has a, a quarterback who's the best of all time right, and right. he's still playing maybe he's not you know playing the absolute best of every quarterback in the league but he, he's playing well enough to still win championships yeah like Brian Flores, I didn't realize he was with the Patriots for like 12 years or something yeah. like that. So, like, what was he 12 years ago? One of the Belichicks? Like, what was he yeah. 12 years ago? Like he just, probably was. He was like, he was the gopher. Right. He was probably like picking up the guys from the airport or something. Right. And, and that's what Belichick know. loves to do because that's what Belichick did. He didn't know it, anything. He wasn't, it, yeah. he played lacrosse. He didn't even play football. Right. And so that's what I think he's trying to do with his kids. Like, just gain another year of experience, another year, another year, another year. And I think. And I think he, Belichick, enjoys it. Like, Belichick never looks stressed out on the field, off the field, practice. You know, I mean, he doesn't want to do interviews, but he doesn't look stressed out. Whereas, you know, you see some of these coaches and they're like, holy crap, I might get fired. Mm. Like, um, you know, they're sitting on the sidelines, you know, with their play call and cheating. Well, how about like, the end of you know. uh, Super Bowl Forty Nine? You know, Belichick is sitting there calmly, clocks yeah. ticking down. Yeah. Uh, the, the Seahawks have the ball. They're about to go in for the touchdown. And everyone's saying, Bill, aren't you going to call timeout here? Yeah. No, 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 that's fine. No. He's looking over at the other side. He sees, like, you know, Pete Carroll being Pete Carroll just yeah. going, ah, you know. Yeah. And so, okay, I'm just going to let it play right. out. And, you know, and, you know, calm, cool, and collected ended up paying off at the end of that one. But, uh, yeah, no, that's just uh, – you know, it really is. Uh, you know, it's funny, though. A few years ago, Belichick was on record as saying, I'm not going to be Marv Levy and coach till I'm 70. Well, he's mm. only four years away from that number now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but obviously I think maybe he's had a maybe he's had a change of heart. At the time then when he said that, maybe, you know, I don't think his sons were on the coaching staff yet. So maybe oh. that kind of played a factor, yeah, too. Yeah, and plus, his, uh, like, what if his girlfriend, like, is fine with him coaching? Like, like what if she's not fine with him coaching? Then he has decisions to make. Mm. The decision gets a little harder. But if she's like, oh, believe me, no, he, he wouldn't be with her this long if she wasn't fine with him coaching. Because he's, he, you know, the one thing he has always said publicly is how much he loves doing. He said in the, yeah. uh, the post game interview uh, Sunday night too. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, 
yeah, they wouldn't have been together this long if she didn't, you know, accept him yeah. as he is. So He's not going to change. Right. <laughs> exactly. So he's not changing for anybody. If she's not complaining, he's, yeah. you know, like, and he loves what he's doing, his kids are there, like, those are big hooks that are, yeah. like, keep, might keep him even an extra year longer, mm-hmm. um, you know, than not. Because, you know, his kids are, you know, they, until they're a coordinator, you're not, you know, yeah. you, you know, Regardless, but anyways, um, and then of course, nice short flight over to Nantucket from where he's at right now. If he goes to another, if he right. wound up coaching somewhere else, you know, it's yeah. just the. I mean, the only be able thing to just hop across the. The, the only thing the he'd canal. coach is be like some high school somewhere. You know what I mean? Like something stupid. He wouldn't. He's not gonna go coach like Tennessee. I mean, like Foxborough or, High. Or yeah, something. exactly. <laughs> he might just be like like defensive coordinator. They'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, maybe. Well, he, you know, I, maybe if he. Uh, well, he's got a granddaughter who he, you know he had up on yeah. his shoulder uh, there. I don't know if he has any grandsons, but uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I think that's his. I think that that's his first grandchild, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe down the road, you're right. Maybe one, if he has a grandson who's of uh, foot, you know, uh, high school uh, football age, whatever, uh, he can. Maybe that'll be something he'll think about uh, yeah. later on. Ah, well, let's see. Wow, we've been going for a hundred and two minutes. Uh, you think that's? Uh... <laughs> Did, I, mean, if, I don't know. Do you have? Anything? I can. I, I can keep going. You, you, well, did you have anything else you want to talk about? Well, I mean, we'll give you. Uh, well, just the just the always... the one one random thing. Okay. That I, it's yeah. my favorite. It's my favorite thing to say about football is that the Cleveland Browns fired Belichick and Paul Brown, two of the greatest coaches in the history of the NFL, and the Browns are like, no, we're, we're going in a different direction, and I just find that. You know, and they've you know one of the worst franchises. Do you know what's more fascinating is that the team is named for Paul Brown, mm-hmm. and yet the legacy is that they fired him. Yeah. Why would you keep that name for your team if you're going to? You obviously didn't think enough of him that you wanted to keep him around. You fired him. Wouldn't you have just gotten? Wouldn't you have changed the name? They could have been the Cleveland Bulldogs or yes. something. I don't know. Yes. So. No, create well. That's you know the old AFL, right, or whatever, NFL, whatever. I guess. But anyways, so, I, wow. I, it's, okay. I just, I just. No, had that's to, uh, you know, it's that's a fascinating stat. I mean, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Do you, th- do you think Cleveland's still well? Remember now, of course, the current. You know, as we said before, as I was saying before, we went on the air. Uh, you know, the current Cleveland Browns are technically the Baltimore Ravens, even if the record books don't show it, because Modell moved that yeah. team to Cleveland, and then of course left all the records and everything behind. Uh, in Cleveland, but uh, yeah, so I mean the new the the nineteen ninety nine Cleveland you know Cleveland Browns two they inherited mm-hmm. all the the history and the team name and all that, but yeah, so I guess you could say technically, I mean if you well, the the, the Cleveland Browns have won a couple of Super Bowls as the Baltimore as Ravens, the Baltimore but, Ravens, yeah, yes, but that's not recognized by anybody in the NFL since uh, none of the you know <laughs> you can't go to the Cleveland Browns media guide and find anything that says that they won two Super Bowls yeah. or even appeared in them, so yeah. it's or yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Hey, their, their future's certainly looking brighter with Mayfield, though. It's uh, oh yeah. I mean, you know what they what they won seven games this year. They I have mean, a lot of talent on that team. I mean, they've been drafting high and drafting well. Mm. Um, they got that guy Garrett. Yeah. Uh, with um, can't remember his name. His first name's Garrett, right? Uh, the lineman and whatever they they just have their defense is really good. Yeah. And Baker. Well, they've had a lot of high draft picks in yeah. recent years. So. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't think Makefield was going to be that good, but he's he's good. 
at the time, it felt like a lot of, you know, the Mel Kuypers of the world were all kind of laughing, or not maybe laughing, but just sort of scoffing at the fact that you're passing on, uh, you know, the, the Jets quarterback now. And, you know, that he was the consensus. Darnold, uh, yeah. da, right, Darnold. You're passing on Darnold, who everyone thought was going to go number one. You're taking Mayfield, and people thought, well, this guy's the number one guy. But then they went from zero to seven wins. Yeah. So, and, you know, that, of course, it maybe got an assist from Hugh Jackson getting bounced as well. But, uh yeah, uh, yeah, it certainly looks looks promising there for the first time. Browns fans uh, would desperately like to have something, I think, to, to cheer about there. Right. Uh, I think everyone's rooting for them, yeah. kind of. And everybody's you rooting know? against Boston sports. I mean, this yeah. is just uh, – I mean, you know, someone was telling me this the other day. Since the turn of the century, 12 championships for Boston teams. Mm. Patriots, six, Red Sox, four, and the Celtics and Bruins, each with one. A dozen championships. No one else is even remotely close. Right. No, no, gosh, no. It's I hard. Mean, it's an imbi- <laughs> right. No, I know, but this is like, it's crazy. I mean, this is the second time now this century that the Red Sox and Patriots are both the reigning champions simultaneously. Like, they're both, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the duck boat, per- like, the, do the duck boats, like, they put them on autopilot now? I bet you those guys driving the duck boats don't even right. have to keep their eyes open because right. the duck boats know where to go. Right. I mean, they take the same, does, I mean, this is the same route they took three months ago. Does, does the duck boat company have to, like, block out their their schedule to be in case the, the I think probably, you know, the Super Bowl right. is played on this day. Sure. Let's block out the Tuesday. Yeah, right. Take, <laughs> take no orders on Tuesday, February right, 5th. Right, right. You know? Oh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. That really is crazy. I mean, we are we are spoiled rotten, and then just uh, well, I guess as far as I'm concerned, we can it can keep on going if it wants oh, to. Oh gosh, so, how, I yeah, mean, we've is, we had the most pain for the longest time. Yeah, you know, because it'll turn the other way at some of point. Of course, and it probably will. probably sooner rather than later. But uh, especially in football, it doesn't it doesn't go this way. Yeah. Oh, I got to ask you one thing really quick here while sure. I have you. Uh, Sunday, arguably, could it be the greatest day in the history of Boston sports? Because you probably know of all the other. Okay, obviously the Patriots won their sixth Super Bowl. Uh, and and all of that. Okay. Uh, the Bruins went down and beat the Capitals in Washington, yeah. breaking that 14-game yeah. winless streak they had. Tuka Rask set a record uh, in that game as the all-time winningest uh, Bruins oh, goalie. okay. He broke, I think, Tiny Thompson's record for all-time wins uh, oh, by tiny, a Bruins yeah. goalie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tiny. Yeah. I think he, he played in the 30s. Come right. on. I know we're not that old. Uh, maybe Howie remembers him, but no. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> I, sorry. I had to, had to do that. Howie, had that was to, tough. Had to do it once. No. Okay. Uh, but so the Celtics beat Oklahoma City. Yeah. So you got all three Boston sports teams winning. And I will give you a fourth thing that happened. The Red Sox did not play on Sunday, but Mookie Betts was in a PBA-sponsored event. Oh, really? And he won. Really? He won his match, so uh, yes, uh, or the tournament or whatever yeah. they were doing. I, I just kind of heard this uh, through, well, actually uh, following uh, on the uh, the TOST, uh, the Twitter feed, mm-hmm. uh, and it mentioned that. So so all three Boston teams playing on Super Sunday won, and you also had Mookie Betts winning a bowling tournament, which, you know, I mean, because you can't get all four of the teams to play on right. the same day. That just right. doesn't, it just doesn't happen. happen. Yeah. Well, it, it can't because I think, you know, at best one of them would be in a preseason game or, or, or an exhibition game. They they don't all play regular season it games could, at the Well, same. yeah, I was going to say in the – Or even a playoff. No. In the, oh, no, I was going to say May, but no, the, the, the – uh, 
it could be October. Okay, yes, theoretically That's true. If, You're right. Right? October. Yeah, if the, if the Red Sox are in the playoffs. Right. And, if they, they were in the World Series. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, That's about it, NHL, though. right. I mean, that would be it. But and then, they'd all, then they'd all have to be scheduled to play on the same day. Yeah. So I, arguably, as I said, this you know Sunday might have been the greatest day in the history of Boston sports right there. Yeah. I mean, that's not... I don't know what's going to top it. And I so. know, and I know someone who did a three-team parlay on all the Bruin, all the uh, Boston teams and won. What kind of odds did they get for that? I, I was like, a, wow, oh my! It, you had to have gotten up. That had to be a pretty good payoff. It was probably like a hundred to was, win, like maybe two or three at or? least. Well, it, it. Oh yeah, actually, I'll I'll I'll, I'll call them. Uh, I have to think. Yeah, that. no, because the the Bruins were heavy underdogs against the uh, Caps. Oh, of course, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, know. and then and the other stuff was just fifty fifty. So yeah, no, that that was yeah he twenty three. Probably fifty, like hundred win. Probably hundred win four fifty or four twenty. Wow. Like yeah. So, anyways, I just you know you'd mentioned the three. Yeah. No. No. That's all. And Tiny that. Thompson and right. I, well, I'm not you know I'm not surprised that the Vegas had some kind of line on that. That makes sense yeah. to me. I don't know if they would have if they had tied in the Mookie thing. The odds right. could have been even more crazy there. It could have uh, been a hundred to win a thousand or right. something. <laughs> right. Just, uh, but uh, yeah, no, that is just uh, I don't know. I, I I'm. I can't think of another day in, in Boston sports that could be any more successful. Well, than, uh, and, and just, you know, given the fact also the goalie set an all-time record for franchise wins and, you know, another team won their sixth Super Bowl championship. I mean, you know, you have, you know, just thinking other things at stake to it. They, it wasn't just like all routine regular right. season games. Right. And, and where the Celtics are in the Anthony Davis, heavily in the Anthony Davis, it's a two-chair, you know, situation. Maybe the Clippers, but... Um, is he, is, we're right is, in the middle of we're right in the middle of it. Yeah, is Davis getting dealt uh, tomorrow? No, before the trade deadline. We're no. recording this on Wednesday, the yeah. day before. But so I no, would say no, so. definitely not. Well, I mean, it sounds like the Lakers backed out. I mean, they you know. Do you know what they uh, ended up offering him? Well, they did. Uh, they did finally put Ingram into the deal, right? Which, I, if I'm the, that's got to be a starter for me. If uh, you know, if I'm the Pelicans, they it, they they did do the kit and caboodle. They did uh, Ingram, LeBron, Kuzma. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that might defeat the purpose. Ingram, Kuzma, and um, Ball. Ball, yeah. Um, I don't know if they put the center in there or not, the guy with a Z or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, a number one and a number two for yeah. Anthony Davis. But see, yeah, compared Solomon. to the, the Celtics have so much better draft capital to, yeah. to deal because they've got the – Aside from their own picks, which actually may not be that great, they've got all those extra. They got like those three. They got Sacramento, the Memphis, and then was it the Lake? They have another pick. Uh, the in Clippers. The uh, Clippers, think. right. I think but the right. Clippers. Yeah, I know they're all protected. In some they're all ways. protected weirdly and then yeah. can go on. But the, the Memphis one's good because. Because mm, they've been. It's been protected pretty... for like two more years as long as they're in the. Um, yeah. Um, what do you call it? The draft or whatever. Do you think uh, come then the the off season the summer that you know the, the Celtics are going to get Davis and is Danny willing to trade Tatum? Well, do you think he's willing yes. to trade Tatum to get him? Yes. Do you want to see Tatum get traded to, to get Davis? Yeah, that's I, two major questions. Okay, it is. I do. I I, I would trade. It's Anthony Davis. Like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards like, too. As much if, as I like Tatum, I, if you don't trade for Anthony Davis, then you're generally not going to make a trade for somebody like that ever. Mm. Like. 
it's life. Like, do it. And you have to give to get. If you're going to exactly. get someone uh, that big and exactly. talented, you're going to have to give up. I mean, to be realistic, I mean, if Ainge can find a way to do it without trading Tatum, then he should be the executive of the year for all eternity. Uh, but right. I don't think that's going to. Right. I mean, because, you know, you could take the entire rest of that roster, I mean, you know, aside from the veteran guys, but yeah, it just doesn't add up to, you know, Tatum's certainly the, the, the biggest jewel yeah. or, you know, the you know, what the Pelicans would be looking at uh, to get back. And, yeah, and, yeah it, well, it's going to be some sort of, uh, what, Tatum, Smart, and four draft picks, four number ones. Yes, I don't know how that works because doesn't it have to be, oh, oh, you know, because there's like a, that 10% or 20% difference in salaries? Yeah, or does that not? What can we do? What can we do? Yeah, see, I don't know. You got Don't you have to throw a big contract? Because those have... guys are all working on rookie deals. Yeah, know? but. Yeah, but th- no. Well, Smart's making. Oh right, Smart. 15. Oh, that's right. You'd have to throw Smart in now. You mean Mr. Three oh, point, Smart's definitely. You mean have the new three-point shooting specialist we have? Uh, yeah. I we're, I don't know where the hell he's that been came from. sick. Sunday he was crazy. I know. And then last night or the night before, I saw highlights, and he was he was yeah last night against Cleveland. Right? Definitely, he's in the category of guys who you give him the big contract, and some people were questioning that deal for Smart, and he's playing better. Yeah. With the with the money, it's yeah. So Smart and. Uh, Oh, did you hear? But did you see about the Lakers last night? No, what uh, playing Indian in the Pacers? Yeah. Do we have time for this? Or yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, apparently, yes. The, the you know, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I I you can cut this out, right? <laughs> no, I'm gonna leave it all in. I don't right. know if, if people if people listen to this whole thing. Right. Uh, please comment at right. the bottom of the page, but uh, whatever. Go on Twitter. The uh, Pacers no. were at home against the Lakers, so Ingram goes to the line in the first quarter, and the crowd starts chanting lebron lebron will trade you lebron will trade oh, you really? like uh, yeah. it's it's 15,000 people oh, it's hilarious yeah, right so then javel mcgee gets to the line and uh the crowd starts yelling something like you're not worth trading for you're not worth trading for it's hilarious oh, yeah. okay oh, wow then somebody takes a snapshot of the lakers bench Everybody's sitting where they're sitting. There's three open seats, and then LeBron's sitting at the end. Okay? Ooh. Rondo is sitting on the other side of the coaches. Because he's like, because Rondo doesn't care. Right. He's just yeah. like, and, they, and they're all just kind of like, dude, you're trading all of us. Like, you're in, we, we're yeah. done with you. Like, we're done. See you later, How about dude. speaking of a hot mess, apparently, uh, you know, most of the team right now is just uh, turned tuned out uh, Luke Walton, they're the head coach of the Lakers. So. Yeah, but the, I, I don't know if that's actually— And if LeBron is one of them and everyone goes the way LeBron does, then, I mean— Yeah, but that—the guys who tuned him out are the veterans who came in on one-year deals, and all three of them are crazy anyways. Like, like Rondo's the sane one. Yeah. They got Beasley. <laughs> that's frightening. Right. <laughs> They <laughs> got Beasley. Is it Stevenson? Yeah, Who, who's yeah, the I think forward? So. The guy that yeah. I think he blew in LeBron's ear one time. Like he's crazy. Tristan Thompson? No, no. no. He's, uh, uh, no so I think so it's right. Beasley. Yeah. I think Stevenson and some other dude. Yeah. Because he, you know, anyways, those guys were playing like eight and ten minutes, and they were kind of, kind of ticked off, and they're like, whatever, and like, but it, I mean, it is a mess. But it's those guys that are like mm-hmm. irrelevant, anyways. It's not like. All they care about is the young kids and LeBron. Yeah. And <laughs> when LeBron comes in, you're getting fired. It's just a question of when. Right. Like, it doesn't even matter how or why or what's going on. It, it's when. And, you know, 
is he going to bring in Tyron Lue to coach the Lakers? Is that the plan? I mean, because that's the like only coach. I thought he did. Yeah, no? yeah, they won with yeah, Lue, right? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's the only coach LeBron likes, other than himself, unless he's going to become a player right, coach. Right. But there, but the, Which whatever. Which I wouldn't put past him either. Well, by three o'clock tomorrow, we'll know. Yeah, I don't know. Well. Yeah, well, we'll know, and we'll, you know, and the mystery, you know, and if Davis doesn't move, then we'll just kind of, you know, the mystery's going to have to linger till July 1st. Uh, but know. if it if it goes to July, or if, or if Davis doesn't get traded today, he will not be on the Lakers. Really? He won't. Because the Clippers now made that trade. Uh, they traded um, oh, right, Tobias. Right. Yeah, yes, exactly. And they got four number ones, and... They have their own. Yeah, but how about the crazy. how about the Sixers kind of going all in here? I mean, they got Tobias, they got Butler, Embiid, Simmons. I mean, they're seeing the East as being kind of wide yep. open this year, and uh, you know, they're probably not at Golden State's level, but you know who is. But still, yeah, no, it's a good you trade. Know. It's a it's an interesting. It's a it's a good trade for the Clippers and uh, yeah, because Tobias and Sixers. Butler are both free agents after the season, right? Is that what I, that's what I heard today? So yeah. they're definitely going all in right now, but uh, after that. You know who knows. I know, but I know. yeah, it's uh, and then and then whatever. It, it, Anthony Davis affects Kyrie. Maybe who knows? I mean, does Kyrie uh, want to be here? Is it uh, you know? It, it depends who you talk to, I guess. Right? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. Todd. Speaking of mercurial, boy, I, I thought Rondo had it in, in you know had it all, but uh, no, apparently uh, you know Kyrie does uh, too, and. Uh, yeah. Well. Well. He, By the well, way, I saw that Uncle Drew movie by accident. It just happened to be on one of the movie shows. Yeah. Yeah. How was it? <laughs> Predictable. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. anything that. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Stick to your day job, Kyrie. Yeah. And hopefully that means your day job will, will stay in Boston. Right. Too, but, on uh, Causeway Street. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you know, I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't waste your time uh, seeing it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just your typical cliche thing. Yeah. You know, they they win the big game and you know. You know, and then the character who's not Kyrie, his character, uh, the other guy who's sort of the underdog guy in the movie, he ends up getting the winning shot. And sorry, spoiler alert there yeah. for anyone who didn't see Uncle uh. Drew, but uh, you know, it's just it's just riddled with so many sports cliches. It's uh, it's not funny. There, there, I believe there's a barbershop involved. Do they have a barbershop? Scene? I I don't know. I don't remember seeing oh. that in there. Maybe. Yeah. I have to admit, I didn't watch the movie completely from start to finish, mm-hmm. so it's uh, they, they could have snuck that one past me. All right. Well, hey, uh, we're at 159. How's, whoa, boy, look at All that. Right, wow. Talk about a marathon here. Uh, but uh, certainly, one again, uh, once again, I want to uh, thank uh, Christopher Price for joining us at uh, the, the week, way, way back at the beginning of this program for the Boston Sports Journal. You can uh, follow uh, Chris Price on Twitter. His handle is at CPriceNFL. And uh, don't forget, you can follow us on social media by searching Time Out for Sports Talk on Facebook and on Twitter. Our handle is at TOSTBMC to get links to the latest TOST podcasts as soon as they are available. And also, you can get updates on our next live television show, which will be coming up sometime in February. We're hoping to have a special guest uh, coming up for that one. You can also check out previous Time Out for Sports Talk shows on demand at belmontmedia.org, including our recent 25th anniversary and Super Bowl special, which also featured uh, with myself, Howie, and Dave Fluitt, who's uh, here. So, uh, once again, uh, thanks to uh, Christopher Price from Boston Sports Journal for joining us to talk about another Patriots Super Bowl win. They never get old. And until next time, for Dave Fluitt, I'm Todd Blonares. Thank you for checking out the TOST Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.